Welcome to the 145th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on August 25th, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and 50% of this here show with me, as always... Corey Motley, podcast producer and co-host here at the So Video Games Podcast. How are you doing, Corey? I am doing very well, Brad. After 145 episodes, or I guess 144, we have made a significant change to our show, which actually really isn't that significant. Um, this will have nothing to do with anybody that's listening to the show. But um, just to peel back the curtain a tiny bit, uh, we have been using Discord to record our shows for about the beginning of time and lately we've been having a lot of issues with discord um you probably would never know for listening to the show or at least fingers crossed i hope you never know for listening to the show because i try to edit them as uh, as good as possible but um yeah we uh have switched to skype so we're trying skype again and uh or again i don't even know if we've ever tried skype before because we've had some issues with discord in the past so fingers crossed this episode will be good and we will not have our audio drop out all the time during the show because that's not what we want and that will be smooth sailing from here yeah fingers crossed um i know that i listened back to the shows and i mean you know not to toot our own horns or anything but i mean <laughs> i think you did a great job because when i was listening back i remember how many problems we had with discord like stop and start and stop and start and i can hear you and you can't hear me and what's going on and when i listened back i i couldn't tell that anything happened so kudos to you man i know that is not easy so thank you for your hard work and hopefully uh, the listeners got through the shows without too much trouble or too much disruption. So uh, apologies to anybody out there who had any weirdness with any of the episodes. But hopefully Skype will do the trick. I mean, the biggest problem was that we just couldn't hear each other sometimes for like no obvious reason. Uh, and I mean, for an audio program, you would hope that's the one <laughs> thing that works. So fingers crossed this works and we'll just see what happens. So. All right, um, folks, we don't have any banter this week. Just a heads up. Uh, I checked my banter agenda. Corey checked his. Neither one of us had anything really worth talking about. So instead, we are going to take that extra time that we would normally devote to banter and just put it into the main body of the show, which I think will be excellent because we have a very special guest this week. We Their do. identity to be revealed at the <laughs> end of this show. Although I guess by the time this comes out, it might even be in the show notes, so I guess the, the surprise may already be out of the bag for you folks. But <laughs> but for now, we're going to pretend like it's a surprise. Um, so we will get to the surprise guest in our surprise segment, which I think will be very worthwhile. Uh, we also have a lot of games to talk about. But before we get to the games chat, in just one second, I want to give a quick shout-out to Greg Killmaster, a listener who recently wrote in, uh, asked for some free games, got some free games, and also told us he was a fan of the show. Uh, number one... What a badass name is that? My Seriously. name is Greg Killmaster. You don't want to fuck with that guy. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if Greg is big or scary or what, but just if I saw that name, I would like, I would pause before messing with that dude. That's a tough name. I mean, you might as well be named like Bob gonna fuck you up or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those names where you pause for a second. So Greg, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're listening to the show. I'm, I'm thrilled we have somebody with such a cool last name listening. Um, and I hope that the games I sent you were good. I have no idea. Um, like I say, when I give these away, it, they may be good, they may be bad, but they're going to be free. They were free for you. Hopefully they were all right. Folks, if you would like some free games, stay tuned for the end of the show. You will get your chance. And also, just a heads up, um, in lieu of banter, 
we will be answering some listener Q&A. We had some questions a couple weeks ago, and we've been slack asses. We meant to answer them a while ago, and we just, like, it just kept getting bumped for one reason or another. So we're going to get to those questions today, I promise. Uh, but again, no formal games uh, banter. I mean, no games banter. No banter after the music. <laughs> so once the music rolls, that's all there is, and then feel free to bail after that. So, Corey, any any notes, any suggestions, any ideas, or should we roll on? Uh, I think uh, we can roll on. Okay, so... This is kind of a weird show in many ways because uh, this is the week that I'm hosting. You know, if you're a frequent listener of the show, Corey and I uh, switch off weeks. And whenever Corey starts I uh, the show, then I begin with the games. And when I start the show, Corey begins with the games. But this week we are breaking that rule. We're throwing that tradition out the window. I am starting the show. And I am also taking the first game because that's just how it worked out best in the script. So... If you think this is really weird, it is really weird. We're all dealing with the weirdness right now. <laughs> it's, but not we're gonna... it's not that weird, Brad. Come I'm on. feeling very uncomfortable, honestly. <laughs> I'm really, really cautious about this. But okay. So uh, we're going to put Corey in the shell for two seconds while I just roll on and talk Let's for an hour straight here. Um, <laughs> the first game that we want to talk about on the show today is in a preview sense. We haven't done one of these in a while. But uh, every so often we get a, an early code or something and the developers want us to talk about it, but they want us to talk about it very clearly in a preview sense. So I'm going to talk about Creature in the Well, which is on Nintendo Switch. And because I was super busy this morning, I didn't do any research at all. I have no idea who made this game, but they're very talented people. Uh, regardless of that, maybe Corey, you could look it up while I'm talking here. But uh, this, all of my comments, all of my thoughts, everything I'm about to say in a preview sense that is what my legal department told me to say i am saying it out <laughs> loud and we are now protected from lawsuits um so creature in the well is a game coming out i think it's next week for the nintendo switch i believe it's coming out for a couple other systems also it is a really really interesting game it's kind of hard to describe what it is but it is a top-down third person it's partially a dungeon crawl it is partially an action game, and it is partially a pinball game. Oh. Um, yeah. That was they take, unexpected. <laughs> I, a little bit of a left curve there, yeah, for sure. So um, the story of the game is not super important, but basically you're like in some kind of weird post-apocalyptic landscape. Um, you are a robot, and you have been awakened. Uh, you're not exactly sure why, but you like you woke up, woke up in the middle of the desert, and you make your way to this mountain, and inside the mountain is this giant machine, and you're not sure what the machine is, but you feel like you need to turn it on. It's probably part of your programming that you can't access yet. But inside this mountain is a big monster that does not want you to turn the machine on. So you go inside this mountain, um, you have a little banter with the monster, and then you, you start to play the game. And what happens is you have a couple of different weapons, and every room is set up like chunk of a pinball table so this is not actual pinball like it's not you're not in a pinball table but each room kind of has elements that are taken from a pinball table so you go into a room you take your weapon which is usually like a sword or a lead pipe or something like that you whack a ball because there's balls in every room they're kind of like um you know like when you're a kid like do you ever play t-ball Corey? yes so it's like for people that don't know t-ball is like it's for when you're a little kid and you can't actually hit a ball with a bat because you're too little you don't have the coordination for it so grown-ups will give you like this little like plastic or rubber pipe that just stands straight up and then you put a ball on top of it so the ball is holding still and then you whack the ball because the ball is not moving so there's a much better chance that a little kid will be able to hit the ball. Uh, that is exactly what happens in this game. There is a little t-ball thing set up in every room and so you walk up to the t-ball, 
you you whack the ball and then the ball starts pinballing around the room and in each uh each corner of the room there's like little little features to hit there's bumpers and there's little i don't know flashing things and you know different things that you need to hit and the object of each room is to get the ball to hit all of these things to you know quote unquote clear the room that will allow you to move forward to the next room and you just progress like that so it's kind of a combination of pinball and dungeon crawl because these are all rooms that are broken up into very small chunks and so you don't have one giant table but you're doing a chunk you move on a chunk you move on a chunk you move on so they're all about the size of the switch screen um and so far it's really interesting i think the the ball mechanics are good having a character to kind of work that ball around is really interesting uh you can go back to a hub town so there's like a town with a couple citizens in there there's not really a shop or anything to buy but you can talk to people uh, there's a place to get some upgrades and then you go back into the dungeon and do some more pinball rooms and eventually you want to turn all of the machine on that's inside this mountain um, along the way you will find secret rooms there are just rooms that have flavor there's a little bit of like uh, you'll find like dead bodies or something and you can read like a couple notes on them usually it's like scientists that were working on the machine or something you can find out what they were up to a little bit um, and there's boss battles I think I've gone through two or three boss battles so far where the monster that's hiding in the mountain will will grab whatever platform you're on and like pull it down mm. into like the darkness of the mountain. It's it's pretty cool looking the way it looks where these giant hands come up and just like rip the whole floor down and you just go sailing down there. And then all of a sudden it'll be like like a multi-ball situation or there will be like some balls that are like dangerous to touch and so you got to like dodge a couple balls while you're whacking the targets in that room and uh, the monsters kind of taking shots at you. So everything kind of happens in a pinball sort of fashion, but it's not really pinball it's kind of like an action game where you're batting a pinball around um so it's kind of like this really really interesting blend um i want to say also the graphics in this game are amazing they look so fucking cool the use of color is just is just perfect um it's really strong bright like blues and oranges and everything is i don't want to say it's like low detail low poly but they've got like this really kind of chunky style to it where everything is like a really bold shape and everything is very visually distinct it looks quite unlike anything i've seen in a while and it really stands out i mean when the, the robot's walking around and you're in these dungeons and the, the colors are there like it looks like a dungeon but at the same time it almost looks like like a painting of some sort like kind of like a like a pop art painting um like kind of like that guy that does uh, i don't know like an andy warhol or something like that so I really like the look of it. I really like the way it plays. Um, I'm about halfway through the game so far. There have been a couple rooms that have been a little bit more difficult than others, especially when there's a couple time challenges here and there. But overall, uh, this rolls right along. It's really interesting. You can play it in bite-sized chunks. And I'm really curious to see where it all goes. I'm really, really liking this so far. Um, playing it on Switch. And uh, I, I mean... In a preview sense, I'm saying this seems like a pretty fucking cool game. <laughs> so it seems like whenever you started describing it, um, it sounded like a weird, I'm going to do the thing again where I like try to make two games fit for this game. It's your game. thing. It's your thing. Do it. It sounded like if you took like ReCore and Near Automata and put them together, but also with Pinball, that's kind of what this sounds like to me. Yeah, I mean, you're not too far off. It's got kind of that same sensibility, like robots, post-apocalyptic, but then also kind of like, you know, a few other influences in there. So yeah, it looks it looks very cool, and I think that the, the gameplay is well-suited for being on the Switch. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's on PC, and I think Xbox One. I could be mistaken, but I'm digging it. It's it's not 
like anything else I've played this year. It feels very fresh, feels very different. The people who made this game uh, are definitely thinking outside the box. So I'm into this, and it comes out, I think, next week. So I will be doing a full review. You can look forward to that at Game Critics. Um, but, I mean, you know, in a preview sense, I think you'd probably be fine just picking this up and playing it because I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks really cool. I've been looking at the Steam page, doing a research in real time, as you suggested, while... Uh... Um, while you were talking about it. And the developer is Flight School Studio, who's also self-publishing. And they have two other games on Steam, and they're both VR games. One is called Island Time VR, which looks like a really fun kind of casual, you're like floating on a boat stranded in the middle of the ocean, but you have this like ridiculous like crab companion who talks to you. And then there's another game called Manifest 99, which is also a VR game. And it looks like some kind of like similar graphical situation where it's like sort of cell shaded, sort of like um, very stylized, but it looks sort of um, kind of creepy. Like you're on a train that's rumbling through the woods and it looks like you're having to move through these train compartments and sort of like talk to all of these weird kind of creepy looking inhabitants of the train um so this actually is very interesting to me because uh, creature in the well does sound really good and looking at the steam page that it looks really fun and um like you were talking about the art design of it does look really really well done but also the fact that their other two games are vr games because we all know i'm like the vr dude on the show um i'm probably gonna put manifest 99 on my wish list and maybe pick it up in vr and i could talk about that later because it looks really interesting so sounds like uh a pretty cool developer we've got on our hands. Yeah, well, if Manifest 99 is at least half as fun as uh, Creature in the Well has been, it sounds like you will be in for a good ride because this has been a really good time. I've really been uh, enjoying it. And it's it's nice, too, because I remembered seeing it in a, in a trailer, I want to say either last year or like much earlier in the year, and being like, oh, my God, like, what is that? That looks really weird and interesting, and I want to check that out. And now that I'm playing it, I'm like, it is really weird and interesting, and I'm really <laughs> glad I checked it out. It's I love it when something that you see actually ends up being as cool as you hope it would be. That is, like, a wonderful a wonderful feeling. So um, good on you, Flight School. And, uh, yeah, if you check out Manifest 99, I say let's definitely talk about that on the show. Yeah, I will be bringing that back for sure. It's only $5.99, which is incredibly affordable um, for a VR game. So I will probably pick this up and play it for the next, uh, maybe within the next month of shows, uh, I'll be able to talk about it. Most excellent, most excellent. All right, let me move on to my other quick hit, and then we will turn it over to you, sir. Um, Speaking of games that you saw a while ago and then ended up being really cool, I actually have (laughs) two of those in a row, believe it or not. Uh, It's a very special day for us here at the So Video Games uh, Recording Studio because I'm going to be talking about Plunge. I am also playing that on the Switch, It's on, I believe, iOS and maybe even Android and maybe PC. I'm not sure exactly, but um, I saw this. I want to say at PAX West. Ah, Man, I feel like it was two years ago. It could have been last year, but I feel like it was two years ago. They were uh, just one like one screen showing kind of off to the side in the like indie area. And it caught my attention like immediately. And I went over there and talked to these guys and they were like, oh, yeah, we're just doing iPad. And I remember being kind of bummed about it, but I'm like, well, it looks pretty cool, and I have access to a screen, so maybe I'll still try it when it comes out. Lo and behold, hits the Switch like two days ago, and I'm like, <laughs> yes, it's on the Switch. I don't got to play the iPad. Very, very happy. Uh, this is, called again, called Plunge, P-L-U-N-G-E. 
It's put out by Spooky Buns Games, oh. which is, I mean, <laughs> I guess better than Haunted Ass. I mean, Spooky Buns. We went from talking of... about balls to talking about Spooky Buns. This is a good show. Yeah, we're covering all the lower regions today. <laughs> uh, well, there will be some vagina talk coming up, too, so we have all the bases covered. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, okay, so Plunge is really cool. First of all, the thing that you're going to notice about this, it's almost in black and white. There's very little color. So just the very visual presentation is kind of striking. The art style is a really kind of distorted, weird-looking cartoon style. It reminds me a little bit of like a darker kind of a Cuphead style or like a like an indie comics um, sort of an art style. And I don't mean indie like the traditional sense. I mean like back in the day when like indies were like these really weird, like super fringe, like, I don't know, troubled people like doing scribbles in comic books and just... Like, I'm thinking of, like, Peter Bagg or something like that from Fantagraphics back in the day, if anybody knows who that is. Um, so the art style is very distinctive and very eye-catching. Um, you probably will either love it or you won't, because I, I don't think there's going to be much middle room on this. <laughs> um, and each level is a very small, single-screen level where you play a prisoner. You are the billionth prisoner to be thrown into this weird, abstract, underworld dungeon. And so you get dropped into this prison and you want to try to make your escape. You have a little dagger with you. And it's like one of those puzzles where the, the floor is broken up into squares. And when you push a direction, like your, your character drops down, you're in a little like, a, like a, a, a floor with squares on it. When you like, for example, if you push to the left, you will shoot all the way to the left. Like you can't stop. Right. So it's it's almost as though the surface is like ice or something where like you push up, you go all the way up. And you go right, you go all the way right, or like as far as you can go until you hit an obstacle or you hit a, a pit. Like you will never fall off the edge. Like there's no, there's no pit death, which is good. So you're not trying to be careful of pits, but whenever you hit a pit, you will just like stop there. So it's like one of those games where you have to figure out if I push right here, how, you know, what am I going to hit all the way across the level? And if I go up here, so you got to kind of manage your movement in that way. There's enemies uh, along each floor, so you have to like watch out for them. Some of them are melee, some of them will do some like projectile attacks. So you've got to figure out not only like where am I, where are they, but after I move, if I move all the way as far as I can go, where does that put me in relation to them? So you're constantly doing like you know brief tactics about what is the best course of action. And in addition to this, you can pick up um, uh, you can pick up like different items and stuff. I have a, a kind of a funny thing to say about this in a second, but uh, I, I believe it's a roguelike. I'm not sure. And I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, but you can pick up like these different potions and these potions in the beginning are unidentified. So once you drink them once, then they will be like entered into your log. And so you'll know what they do. Um, and some of them are like, oh, attack up. Some of them will make you move faster. Some of them are like really negative. Like uh, I drank one and the entire screen flipped upside down and my controls got reversed. <laughs> And I was like, oh, oh, no, I can't control this game anymore. Um, so uh, so that's what happens. You, you, you walk around, you kill the enemies, you dodge these guys. And in each level, you want to get a key, get the key, open the door, drop down. You plunge down to the next level and you kind of go through every 30 levels. You hit a boss. And then after you defeat the third boss, then that's the end of the game. So very manageable in terms of how long a run takes, I think. My first run was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe like an hour or something like that. 
I posted a picture on Twitter earlier. I don't have it in front of me, but when you when you finish the game, it, it gives you a little like run summary of like what power ups you had and you know how long you took. Um, so interestingly, I've been excited for this game for a long time. I like the way it looks. Um, really, really couldn't wait to get into it. I bought it like five minutes after it hit the eShop because I was waiting on the countdown for the eShop to refresh. Jumped into it um, and I played it. And it's like, this is not a criticism at all. In fact, I think it's kind of cool and fun. But like on my very first attempt, I actually beat the entire game. So like uh... I, didn't die, I didn't die even one time. So I got into it. I immediately understood what the game was doing. I immediately clicked with it. It all made sense to me. I was, I was able to just get in there and manage it and play it. And I had really fun. And I just, I totally rolled credits on my first attempt. So I posted that picture on Twitter. If anybody doesn't believe me, it'll say attempt number one. And then it says game completion. Um, but it's fun. You can go back. There's um, all sorts of stuff to discover. There's more characters to unlock. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where you just jump into it and play. And it's a really small play. And you can don't have to spend nine hours on a run through. And you can just, <laughs> you know, just have fun with it. I, I really like it a lot. I think it's a great game. Um, this, I mean... <sighs> It's probably because you've been training your whole life for this moment because this is very, like, in the realm of games that you seem to play a lot. Um, but I'm, uh, I don't know, proud of you for this. Is this similar <laughs> to... So whenever you're talking about beating it in one run, um, is it similar to... Uh, oh, my God. I cannot remember the name of the game you played last year that was one of your, like, top five games that you said you could beat really quickly, but there was, like, a lot of depth in going back to play it over and over and over again. Oh, are you talking about um, Into the Breach? Yeah, is it similar to that, or is it like once you play it and finish it, you're just like done and you don't really want to go back and play it anymore? Um, I don't think it's as deep as Into the Breach because honestly, I think Into the Breach is like a perfect game, like one of the most perfect games ever made. So it's hard to match that. But yeah, it's kind of the same thing where you can just jump in. I I want to say the levels are randomly generated. I don't know for sure that they are. But it seems like I have not seen a duplicate yet, so I'm guessing that maybe they're randomly generated. But yeah, you just jump in and just, I think just the act of playing it is pretty fun. And so um, I'm still unlocking stuff, which is cool. Uh, so I think from that perspective, it is that same kind of thing where you can jump in for a couple runs, just have a good experience and get out. And it's not like a big commitment or anything, um, but not, not as deep as Into the Breach by any means, but uh, still along those same lines for sure. According to the Steam page, there are over 400 randomly selected levels across three separate challenging sections. Oh, okay. So maybe they're handcrafted levels, but they're assigned at random. That would make sense because I was actually, as I was playing this, I was trying to figure out what kind of algorithm could make these levels work because you have to make sure that your character is able to get to the exit, right? Because if you slide all the way to the extreme edge of a level if like the exit is in the middle of the floor you're not able to stop in the middle <laughs> so i was like man how are they doing this okay so that explains it then they must be handcrafted but you get them at random so okay makes sense anyway i dig it man i don't know if this is your jam i mean i what do you think of, of what i've described and what you're looking at so far um it doesn't really seem too much like my jam um I just don't, I don't know if I could get on board with what all it's doing, but it definitely does look interesting and has your seal of approval. And if anybody knows these types of games, these sort of like arcadey roguelike experiences, it's you. So I trust your judgment on it. Yeah, I kind of hit the same bullshit over and over. I fess up to that. Absolutely. <laughs> so if you like my kind of bullshit, folks, this is my kind of bullshit. Uh, I like it a lot. I give it a total thumbs up. This is a really cool game. And I, 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 I have, I'm very glad that it lived up to being as cool as I hoped it would be when I first saw it two years ago. So good job, Spooky Buns Games. 
uh, really, really like this purchase a lot. So, okay, I've talked for a million years. I've dominated the show. I apologize for that, folks. It is now time to turn it over <laughs> to my partner in crime, Corey Motley. You were going to be talking about a very small, uh, like I think it's well, a single well, man game. game. Yeah. yeah, indie game. No one's ever heard of this. A <laughs> uh, little jam called Devil May Cry 5. Uh, never heard of it. Please tell us all about it, sir. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird. I don't think a, this. there's been a lot of entries in this series, but a lot of people haven't heard of it. It's pretty uh, pretty indie. I think it's like a couple developers, maybe a real small team. Um, originated back on the PlayStation 2. Um also, fun fact, the original Devil May Cry was originally going to be a Resident Evil game, but then it got spun off into Devil May Cry. That, that must be why nobody's heard of it, because like everybody knows what Resident Evil is, but then you spin something off and suddenly just nobody knows what it is anymore. Um, but yes, I got Devil May Cry 5 from Gamefly about, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Um, been playing it. Um, and my first, my like, my, my lead, if you will, for this game is that... Um, if you, so say if you're somebody who played, um, maybe you played Metal Gear Solid 4, or you played Max Payne 3, or you played uh, maybe Alan Wake, and you thought to yourself after finishing one or all of those games, man, I just really want another game that has cutscenes every 10 seconds, <laughs> then this is the game for you. This is your game. Devil May Cry 5 is here to solve all of your cutscene problems because there is a goddamn cutscene every 15 seconds in this motherfucking game, and there's nothing that makes me more mad whenever it comes to playing a game because all I want to do is play your game, Capcom. I want to plug it in i want to turn it on and i want to go slash some demons and shoot my like massively underpowered pistols at your hell demons but no i fight five demons i walk into the next room and there's a stupid cutscene that's like you know maybe it's only like five seconds long but if you put a five second cutscene after every single enemy encounter in the entire game it gets really really old and it gets really really boring and it gets really really repetitive and i basically am like super duper tired of playing this game and I'm only like five missions in. So to back up the premise of this game, I don't even know what the premise of this game is. You start the game, Dante is in the first cutscene, who is like the hero of most of the Devil May Cry series. As far as I know, this game is completely ignoring the fact that DMC Devil May Cry reboot by Ninja Theory happened, um, even though that was the best one in the series. I don't by know. By far the best by one. Far by the far the best one in the series. By far. I don't know why Capcom just keeps imagining that that game didn't happen because they put out the best game they ever have in the series and then immediately acted like it never happened. That's neither here. That's, not, that's a discussion for a different show. Um, but Dante is back. It's old school Dante with the long white hair and the red coat and the big sword. He's fighting some kind of big hell demon because, of course, he's fighting some kind of big hell demon at the in the beginning cutscene. And then you have Nero who is with them. And Nero was introduced in uh, Devil May Cry Four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you played as him. The whole Devil May Cry Four spiel was that game debuted. It either debuted on the Xbox 360 or it came very early on in the Xbox 360's life cycle. You played as Nero for like half the game, and then you basically played back. Th if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you played like back through no, all the correct. levels you're as correct. Dante after yeah. you finish as Nero. 
Um, so that game drew some criticism for A, not letting you play as Dante fast enough. And, although Nero is pretty cool. Like, I'm not going to lie. He's a pretty cool guy. And then like d- basically like having to play all the levels over again as Dante. And that's kind of what people wanted to do the first time around. Uh, also, I never beat Devil May Cry 4, but I played about half of it. And then by the time I got to Dante's section, I kind of like smelled some of the bullshit that was coming off the game. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to play your entire game again. I'm not going to fight all the same bosses again as a different character. Like, what do you think this is? Like, Nier Automata? I don't want to play that. I don't want to play this. Like, I just give me your fucking game and let me play it. And then DMC Double May Cry came out, and it, like, washed over the series, and it was beautiful, and Dante was cool, and he was sexy, and it had really great combat. It had wonderful environmental design. And fun fact, it was written by the guy who directed, who wrote and directed Ex Machina and um, that other movie with Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac that came out a couple years ago, um... He went on to, like, win an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay and, like, wrote DMC Double May Cry where Dante and a giant puking demon just yelled fuck you at each other a bunch of times before a boss battle, (laughs) which was wonderful. Um, Oscar award-winning writing right there, which I stan. I'm all about that. Um, And then now you have Double May Cry 5, which is back to the same old bullshit that Capcom was doing before. And you play as Nero for the first four, I think, four missions. Um, he takes a page out of, like, another, like, I guess Metal Gear Solid Five's book where he has, like, his fake arm. His arm gets cut off at the beginning of the game. He has, like, a fake arm. And his, like, lady friend who, like, crafts guns and stuff for him, she, like, builds new arms for him that have, like, superpowers. He has a sword. He has his revolver. Um, I don't even know why he carries the revolver because it only does like 0.5 damage for every shot you do. So it's basically a useless weapon. It's only there to like uh, increase the combos because the game is all about the combos. But the odd thing is that the game is all about like fast action combos and like slicing dudes and wanting the game to like think it's like really fast and really ferocious. But the combat to me is actually very slow and annoying because you like the, the enemy stages like the boards that the game sets up for the enemies are too big. The enemies are too far apart and Nero doesn't move fast enough to like really get to every enemy consistently. Like it's not like Ninja Gaiden where you can like jump in the air and like slash an enemy across the map or like, you know, dodge roll a bunch of times to get to somebody really quickly. It's just like a bunch of slow moving enemies that aren't interesting that are too far apart on the map a lot of enemies that are floating in the air, which you basically, like, can only rely on your, like, pistol to shoot them. And your pistol, as I've already said, like, twice, does, like, negative five damage for every shot. I actually think your pistol does so little damage, it actually brings life back to the enemies whenever you shoot <laughs> it them. Heal, it heals them yeah, when you shoot it, them, it huh? heals them because the pistols are so uh, underpowered in the game. And then, like, after every enemy encounter, there's a cutscene. There's... Uh, all of the characters are really, like, annoyingly written. Like, you have, like, your new, like, the lady who, like, runs the van that you drive around, and she's, like, I I mean, I guess it looks like Capcom saw Final Fantasy, whatever the one is, where the chick is wearing, like, the bikini who's the mechanic, um, like, 13 or whichever one that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were just, like, okay, we want to do that. And so, like, they made this, like, ridiculous woman who has, like, a southern accent and she's wearing like a crop top and like booty shorts and she like smokes cigarettes all the time and just like is like an engineer like she makes her stuff and she drives her van but she like everybody else in the game is just incredibly annoyingly written like there's a boss battle 
where you like kill this boss and then you get this like horn thing that comes off the boss. I don't know what it is, but she uses it to like craft a new arm for Nero. And like the cutscene happens and she like ramps her van like into the boss arena after you finish the van. And she like picks up the the horn thing and Nero looks at her and he's like, oh, do you know where that's been? And she looks at him and she goes, I don't know, up your butt? And I'm like, oh my God. did a 12-year-old write this game? Because every line of dialogue is like that. It's like some really immature, like, 8th grade, 13-year-old comeback, like, for everything that happens in the game. Like, I cannot believe that a conference room of adults, like, wrote and produced this game because it's like... It's just, like, lowest common denominator, like, toilet humor, like, bad cussing. And, like, I'm all about cussing in games. You know, like, if a boss and Dante are saying fuck you to each other, like, ten times, like, that's awesome. But if you have, like, Nero who, like, shows up and, like, gets out his, like, motorcycle rev sword and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I don't know what. He says something, like, something about, like, being up in this bitch or something. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, it's just, like, like I'm actively embarrassed for the game while I'm playing it. <laughs> and like to top it all off, the game's not even fun. Like it's not even fun to play. It just feels really slow. It feels really boring. Uh, it does that thing that every Devil May Cry has done where you're like playing the game and you're in a, like a fight and basically all of your options are like, oh, I can slash this enemy with my sword or I can shoot them and I can do like this really mediocre jump or like maybe I can do like a dodge roll. And then a cutscene takes over and Nero, or, yeah, Nero jumps, like, 600 feet in the air and is, like, wall running and is, like, doing all this fucking ridiculous bullshit that, like, you can't even come close to doing whenever you're playing the game. And it makes absolutely zero sense. And every single Devil May Cry game does this. And it's just fucking annoying because it's, like, I want to be doing that cool stuff. I want to jump 600 feet in the air. I want to be able to, like, run on the walls and jump from pillar to pillar and do, like, a fucking B-twist to, like, dodge, like, rubble that's coming toward me that some ridiculous like devil thing is shooting at me and it's just like it's so stupid there's like such a huge disconnect between what happens in the cutscenes and what happens in the actual gameplay of the game and you see the cutscenes and you're like wow that looks really fun it looks like a game i would want to play it looks really exciting it looks really lively it looks like the action's really fun and then like the cutscene ends and you're left like controlling this character that feels like they can't do anything that's really stunted that feels really boring that feels really underpowered who's like horribly written who's annoying and it's just like I oh my god like I can't get behind like anything this game is doing and then like four or five missions end you get to play as a new character to the series named V who is this like emo like tattooed long black hair like demon summoner dude and his whole thing is like he's actually apparently like too weak to actually fight people in the game himself so he like summons this hawk and he summons this like leopard thing and they fight for him which is like kind of actually an interesting like i hate to give this game a little bit of credit but it's actually like kind of an interesting thing because instead of like using a sword or a gun to shoot you basically just walk v around the battle arena and you like summon these people to do those attacks for you because like the hawk does the long range attacks and the leopard does like the close range attacks and i don't know if it's because the game is easier when you play as him because the the guys just kind of do, the animals do, like, all the stuff for you and you don't really have to do a whole lot. But, like, I kind of enjoyed his parts of the game a little bit more. I played a couple missions with him 
And I prefer to just kind of like summon them and like let them do the work rather than me like trying to get around the battlefield to do all the work. But at that point, I mean, it just kind of feels like you're putting the game on autopilot and it's like, it's like more fun, but it's only more fun because it's easier and less tedious. But then you realize that after, just like with Nero's sections, if you're playing as V after every boss fight, there's a cutscene. Are you every room you walk into, there's a cutscene or every like time he i don't know needs to like blow his nose there's a cutscene, and it's just like i like i want to play your goddamn game like let me play your game stop giving me a cutscene every five seconds it reminds me a lot of how alan wake did it where like i for the record i did not like alan wake but i played all of it and like every single time you're walking around like the spooky forest areas of alan wake which is like the entire game every single time an enemy pops up the game like forces you into this cutscene, and it's like the camera will like zoom into the enemy and like show exactly where they're coming from and do this like cinematic like 360 degree like circle around the enemy and it does it like for the entire game and i'm like okay like mr wake i get it like there's an enemy here like this game would be so much more interesting if you didn't like pull the camera away from me and pull the agency away from me and like thrust the camera into the enemy's face so i can see like up his nostrils like just let the enemy come let it be scary let it be interesting like why are you so afraid to let the game like ha like breathe and have atmosphere and be scary because that's what you would think the game would be about because that like is what the game is about like you're in spooky forests and it's scary and whatever but the game like insists on showing you every single time an enemy comes up and that's exactly what devil may cry feels like it's like every time an enemy comes out it's like all right here's a cutscene to show the enemies are coming and then every time you kill all the enemies it's like all right here's a cutscene to show that all the enemies are dead and then you walk into the next room and it's like all right here's a cutscene to show this next thing you have to do and it's just oh my god it's so annoying i just want to play your fucking game capcom stop giving me cutscenes every five seconds i'm so annoyed if you couldn't tell brad this little indie gym we have on our hands i'm so annoyed by it and i am really looking forward to sending it back to gamefly because i'm over it so so what did what did you think of it <laughs> <laughs> i was just gonna ask like why did you even play this so i i didn't catch the gamefly part did you just randomly put it on there just to just to give it a taste test or were you kind of excited for it before you played it well, I, I mean, I did kind of want to play it because it's like a big, you know, big AAA release. You know, I kind of, if there's something like significant that comes out, I try to play it every year, even if maybe I'm not super excited about it. Um, you know, I just kind of want to give it its due a little bit. And also Gamefly helps because I don't have to buy it, which is nice. Um, but the other thing is like when this game came out, people were like loving it. Like Twitter was like, oh my God, Devil May Cry is back and it's so wonderful. And I was like, oh, cool. Like maybe it's actually good. And then I play it and it's not. Like, I don't know what all these people are talking about. Like, this game is not good. So it was like a combination of those. Like, it's a, it's a big game, so I wanted to try it. People said it was great, so I wanted to try it. And it's not great. It's just not my kind of game. Like, there's other action games out there that are way better than this. And I'm also still just really mad at Capcom for just acting like DMC never happened when it's the best game in the series. I gotta be honest, man. And I just... I just don't really get the appeal of devil may cry in general i agree with you that dmc is the best one i thoroughly enjoyed dmc i thought ninja theory did a wonderful job with that one but that's really the only one that i've ever been able to like honestly say that i enjoyed with no reservations um i never liked the first devil may cry uh everybody bags on dmc2 i didn't care for that either uh dmc3 was like way too hard i played one version of it i think whatever version got like the the difficulty downgraded and i played that and it was okay but like i just think that 
Devil May Cry is a very, very, very specific thing because it's just about the combos. Like, I find combos to be incredibly boring. I don't find <laughs> any... No no entertainment value at all uh, do I derive from just doing combos or, like, trying to figure out, you know, how to chain the best weapon attacks together to get the longest combo. Like, like none of that is interesting in the least to me. Like, I don't give a shit about that. And, I mean, we played the demo of this game a while ago. I remember us talking about it on the show. And, like... The writing from just the demo was so awful. I already knew I wasn't going to play the main game because it was so bad. Like, just like you said, I mean, really, just really, like, uh, imbecilic, really immature, just not funny. And I found that to be true throughout the entire um, the entire Capcom produced series. Like, they just write him like a dickhead douchebag. And there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain number of gamers who, like, love that, who think that's badass and cool and they really get into it. And if, you know... If you like it, I mean, okay, everybody's got their own taste, right? But, like, I think this writing is terrible. I think it's always been terrible. I think it's, like, I just don't find anything about DMC to be appealing. I don't think Dante's character design is appealing. I don't like the gameplay. I've never liked the writing. So it's never been a series that brings me in. And kind of like you, like, every time it comes out, people get really excited. And I, you know, I, I kind of got excited about this one. But then I played the demo, and it cooled me right off and brought me back down to Earth. I'm like, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. It's these certain people who are really vocal about it on Twitter that get everybody excited, but really the game is, you know, it's just going to be more of the thing that I already know I don't like. So I'm not going to play the main game. Everything you've told me is just exactly what I expected, and I'm not surprised to hear any of that stuff. So <laughs> I'm going to fully give this a pass, and I'm just going to say that people who like DMC like it, and I'm not one of those people. I mean, I like, I like the Ninja Theory one, but the other ones, the Devil May Cry series, I just I don't care for it. I don't think it's very good. I really don't think it's good. Um, so if you like it, great to each their own, but to me, I'm just gonna, whatever, keep on moving on. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty much in the same boat. So I guess I got to take the hit on this show for playing it for both of us and can come back and report that. Yeah, it's not very good. The writing's really juvenile. The action is not great. Um, so yeah, I'm ready to send this. I will have this in the mail back to Gamefly tomorrow. And maybe by the end of the week, I will have something new to play. Um, I am over, I'm over Devil May Cry. Yeah, I just, that's, it's never worked for me. It's still not going to work. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know why people like it. I, just, I think it's terrible. So, all right, let's move on. Um, I have another small game to talk about. Uh, also on the Switch, spending a lot of time on my Switch because I am still real deep into elex we talked about that on um last week's show i believe uh, the open world game from piranha bites on ps4 i am loving that game dude i am still playing the shit out of the game and that game has taken up like the overwhelming majority of my playtime which is why all i'm really bringing to the show this week is switch games because i got to play these in bed like so like if <laughs> if i'm if i'm vertical i'm playing elex on the ps4 I'm not going to talk about it today <laughs> But I love that game, dude. That game's great. I'm just, I'm so happy with that game. I'm having the best time with it. I think I'm probably 25 or 30 hours into it, and I'm just really just having a great time. So uh, that's all I'm going to say about Elex, but that's that explains why all I'm talking about are Switch games uh, this week. So I played another Switch game called Forager, F-O-R-A-G-E-R, -E Forager. Um, it's made by Hopfrog, which I think think is just basically like one dude maybe like one dude plus a couple of assistants or something it's like really small game and in fact i only know that because once you make a certain distance into the game 
these little bonuses unlock. And one of the bonuses was, hi, my name is Hot Frog, and this is how I made this game. And it's like a little, it's like a little comic strip about him being like a person who, you know, wasn't very encouraged at first by his family. And then he got some encouragement and then he went to a game jam and then he met a public. I mean, it's like the game, like the story of how this game came about or whatever. So it's kind of cute that he put that in there. There are other little comic strips you can unlock. But anyway, it seems like it's just basically one guy or something. So anyway, it is a 2D kind of a top-down game where it's kind of weird because I I wasn't sure what to make of this at first. And honestly, uh, when we got code for this game, I farmed it out to the entire Game Critics team, which is probably at this point about 25 people. Um, they don't all write every week, but we've got a, you know, they all kind of cycle in, cycle out. Uh, and I sent it out to all 20, 25 people and I'm like, Hey, we've got Forager on the switch. Would anybody like to review this? And just like crickets, like nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing. I think I sent it out like for maybe two weeks in a row and like nobody took it. And I'm like, man, you guys, this, uh, someone's got to, no, no, no one's going to, okay, fine. I'll do it. So like I took it as nobody wanted to play it, but it didn't seem like my thing. It's a 2d top down game where you, uh, okay, so all you do in the game is collect resources and craft. Like that's all you do in the game, basically. So like this is this is like busy work colon the game, which <laughs> is not my jam. You know, I'm not big on collecting. I'm not big on resources. I'm not big on crafting. You know that. The listeners know that. But I'm like, well, you know, it's on the Switch, and I don't know. Maybe it'll be like a nighttime cooldown game. Maybe I'll play that, and we'll see what happens. But I gotta say, it's actually been very fun. Um, so you you start as this character who appears in the middle of this tiny little island. And there's like nothing there but like trees and a couple rocks and you have a pickaxe. And so you just start whacking stuff because that's all you can do. There's like literally nothing else to do on the island. And you just start accumulating these resources. You know, you get wood and you get some stone and whatever. And then there's a very simple menu where you can just build stuff. And so like you build your first, like, I don't know, like your forge or something. And then that unlocks like five more things you can build. And then you build one of the things on your forge, and then that makes a thing that unlocks five more things to build. I mean, it's like like literally nothing here is at all interesting or I mean, it's, it's interesting, but it's not innovative. It's not like this guy's reinventing the wheel. Right. But I think the thing that makes Forager interesting or at least engaging to play is that he has absolutely stripped this thing down to like the bare essence of like what crafting and collecting is all about. So like you're not messing with any story. You're not messing with like talking to villagers you're not messing around with like trying to find anything like when you're on these islands the resources just appear and the islands are so small you you can't help but like see them they are literally like right there in front of you so all you got to do is harvest them so like the game is like throwing resources at you and you're just surrounded by them and every time you whack something you get some resources and then the menu that you craft stuff on is like super simple like it's super streamlined there's no confusing tree there's no confusing, like, you know, you, like, you always know exactly what you're doing, right? And so it's very out there. Like, everything's out there on Front Street, and they just want you to do it. So, like, either you want to go on board and play this, or you don't. But, like, there's no mystery to it. Like, you're not figuring out recipes. You're not figuring out what two things go together to make this other thing. Like, the game just straight up just tells you. Like, there's no secrets. It's just like, here, here's all the fucking things you got to do. Do them or don't. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll do it. And I'll just try it for a little bit. <laughs> And it just ends up being kind of like really meditative and relaxing because there's very little danger in the game. There are some enemies that you can whack, but like, I mean, it's super forgiving. Like it's, I think I've, I think I've died maybe once in the entire time I played the game. And that was just because I didn't realize there was even combat at that point. I just kind of like walked into a monster, uh, 
and was surprised when I died. But then I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll need to be a little bit careful. But I mean, it's so, so you just collect stuff, you build stuff. That's all you do. And then eventually you gain access to some money and then you buy another island. And what happens is like another little island will just appear right next to the island that you're already on. And then this island will offer something. It's like a mystery. So like one will have an NPC where he's like, oh, please bring me five mushrooms. Or it'll be like um, a building that you haven't had access to before. Or it'll be like a new kind of animal will be on this new island. And so you collect this thing that opens up more trees. You just build, you get some more money, you buy another little island, and then another new thing pops up. So it's just like you're constantly working your way up this tree of like unlocking resources, unlocking things to build. Everything you build opens up five more things. And you just play it like that's, that's all there is. Like you're just it's just right there. You're going to you, you want to climb this tree of resources and build this stuff or you don't. And I think it's really fun. I mean, this is not my jam. It's not something that I would normally choose to play. I'm not really big on crafting, but it's all so straightforward and so easy to play. Like you're constantly doing one of those. Oh, OK, well, I'll just collect five more of this tree and then I'll turn the game off and go to bed. Oh, but if I do this other thing, like if I get five more rocks, well, then I can make this. Well, I'll just do that real quick and then I'll get these five rocks. <laughs> and before you know it, it's like it's like three o'clock in the morning. and You're like, God damn it. I just spent like another two hours on this fucking game. It's one of those where time just like vanishes because you've always got like 10 things to do. And none of it feels like too much. It doesn't feel like it's a burden because like resources are just like thrown in your fucking face. Like you're, you're never starving for resources. Um, it's just like like. The first island I went to, there was like a tree and a rock and like a fruit or something. So I collect all the stuff and the island is empty. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? Boom. Another tree appears literally right in front of me. Boom. More fruit, more rock, like just right there. And you just keep collecting it. Like, like you don't have to look for it. Like they're just giving it to you. <laughs> they're just like, here, take this thing. All you got to do is push like the A button and then the game will continue. Just keep pushing the A button. It's all you got to do. And it's like so easy and so smooth and streamlined. And that's really the beauty of it. Like, he takes this stuff that is usually a pain in the ass in most games. Not only does he make his entire game about this thing that's normally a pain in the ass, but he takes the pain in the ass out of it. And so it's just, like, so easy that it's, like, you have to, like, put out effort to stop playing the game. Like, it's so easy just to keep doing quests and collect more things. And it's just, it's, it's like a little conveyor belt. Just, like, <laughs> stuff is flowing into your backpack. And you're just making stuff. It's, like, so easy. It's so easy. And it, I think the easiness is what makes it so appealing because... It just becomes about doing a task rather than like working hard, you know, like it's not really a challenge in traditional sense. I mean, you have to like manage the stuff that you're doing and maybe pick on one goal at a time. So you stay focused, but it's just, it's just, it's just like, oh yeah, here, man, just come play this game. We're going to do this crafting thing. You know what to do. Like just collect five rocks, keep going. And then new, this new thing appears, a new shiny appears, you chase the new shiny, five new shinies appear, you chase those things and just five more appear and you just, you just keep going down the rabbit hole, man. So I think I probably played maybe five or eight hours of it. And it's just, it's just rolling along, rolling along full speed, unlocking stuff at a good clip, leveling up at a good clip, seeing new stuff at a good clip, and it just boom, 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 boom. So this guy has taken something that I generally abhor and actually turned it into something that I think is pretty fun. So I think that in itself, commendable effort, surprising effort, and it's a really perfect fit for the Switch, runs perfectly on the Switch. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's great. It's, it's not something I would normally recommend, not something I would normally check out, but I've been having a great time with it. So I have a couple things to say in response to this. Um, the first one is that uh, the the sensation that you're describing when it comes to like, you know, saying like, okay, I'll just do this one more thing. I'll just do this thing. And then you, that builds up into like, you end up doing like 50 other things and you're playing until three o'clock in the morning. That's the exact same 
Um, sensation I get whenever I play like Dishonored or Prey or like sometimes like Fallout or games like that where uh, like it's, it happened most recently with Prey because that's what I've been playing most recently as far as like a sort of like a game that's like that um, where I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, I just have this one little side quest. I'll just go do that. And then like I go through the area and I'm like, okay, I'll just save and stop whenever I'm done with that. And then I save and then I'm like, well, you know, let me at least just go to the next area that the next quest is in. And then once I get there, I'll save and I'll stop. And then I get to that area and I save and I'm like, well, I'm already here, so I might as well just do it, right? And then, like, I do the thing, and it's just, like, that repeating over and over again, where I'm like, okay, I'll just stop when I do this quest, and then I never stop when I do that quest. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just go to the next area. And that's sort of, like, the same sensation that I get when I play games like that. And then the other thing I was thinking about is, like, I, I feel like there's two kinds of maybe maybe people or gamers or whatever you want to call them in the world. And there are the kind of people who like games like this where the resources or the objectives or the keys or what have you in the game are just sort of like fed to them in a way that lets you like progress at like a steady crescendo and like your progress doesn't really get like upended or roadblocked or anything and that are perfectly fine with enjoying that kind of experience and then there's another type of gamer where you're constantly like having to like backtrack or go hunt or go grind or do whatever to go collect the kind of resources or whatever you need in order to go forward. Like they, like they get some sort of thrill out of like, you get to like the locked door and then the game is like, hold on, you need this thing to get here that you haven't gotten yet. And then they're like, oh yeah, I have to go get that thing. And then like they exit the area and like they go on this like quest for the thing and I feel like we've crossed this barrier on the show several times because the most recent game I can think of that maybe this happened was whenever you were playing Subnautica because you really enjoyed that game. And then if I remember correctly, there was like an end game scenario where yep. it was like, hey, yep. you need to go get this thing. And like, I, I feel like you can only have it one way or the other in a game. Like you can't have it be like, okay, we're going to steadily feed you this stuff up until a certain point, And then fuck you. You have to go get all these things to get the end game. Like it either needs to be one or the other consistently over the course of the game. And I feel like you and I are probably on the same page about like, we both just kind of prefer to have the game like slowly feed us things rather than getting roadblocked every five minutes and being like, oh crap, now I have to go back to this area I was in earlier and go get this thing that I overlooked or whatever. And it sounds like this game kind of perfectly fits into that, like just slow and steady, we're gonna feed you what you need and let you progress and then just go about your merry way on where you're going. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's a really, actually a really good callback to Subnautica. That is perfect because yeah, when I played Subnautica, I was in love with that game for like the first like 35 hours. I thought it was amazing. And it was totally just like this drip feed. Like, you're constantly unlocking stuff. You're constantly finding stuff. The game is leading you along. The pace is really great. And then you get to the end game, and it's like, screech, put on the brakes. <laughs> now you got to go find these six totally random items that you may or may not have ever seen in the entire game. And they're somewhere in the world. Go find them. Good luck. And that's when I was like, fuck you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is, this is a game where, like, they're constantly making you move forward. They constantly have a goal that's in front of you. And it's just something that you can do like i mean you have you have to take action to get it done but it's like there's no question about what you need to do there's there's no no real barrier which i think is great and i mean if, if a game is I, I mean i think your point about having it you can't have it both ways i think is correct because if a game starts out and it's all about like you got to get the thing from square one 
then you get you get into that rhythm and you get used to it. And if that's the reality of the game, that's fine. But if it if it starts out one way, and then all of a sudden switches gears, I I'm not sure that's really a great idea for game design. And this is uh, this is a good example of of why it works to not do that because. I've just been rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling, dude. And if I ever hit a roadblock in a game like this, which I ordinarily probably wouldn't play at all, I, you know, I, I would probably be inclined to stop playing, but it's just been a perfect little treadmill. I mean, and honestly, the thing that really puts this way over the top, I didn't mention this yet, but you get experience points for doing literally fucking anything in this game <laughs> you like whack a monster plus five experience points you pick up a rock plus 10 experience points you eat a fruit plus 15 experience points you, i mean like like for anything except walking you get fucking experience points for doing it so like if you get to a point where you just are like overwhelmed or you're just not sure what to do or you just want to you know i don't you just you just a little bit lost or something all you have to do is literally whack whatever is in front of you and you're just racking up experience <laughs> points. It feels like every moment of this game is actually building towards something that is helping you because every level that you go up an experience point, you get like a new skill and the skill is just like everything else, unlock a new thing. So it's like, oh, even if I'm not doing a quest or even if I'm not making anything, as long as I'm whacking trees, I'm still leveling up and I'm still working towards unlocking something. So like, like every second of your fucking time in this game is contributing to like the overall picture overall, which I think is kind of is kind of outstanding. I mean, the the fact that I can sit here half asleep on my bed, I should be asleep, but I'm just whacking trees and I'm feeling like I'm getting something productive done is pretty amazing. I wouldn't stand for that bullshit in any other game, but with Forager, <laughs> somehow it feels like it's not really a waste of time. Like it's it's actually gonna benefit me somehow. So I mean, that was it last night. I, I wanted to go to bed, but I wanted one more skill. And I could see my progress bar. I was only like maybe, you know, a couple trees away. And I'm like, well, it's a whack trees for a while. I'm like, and I'm like, I never do that. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm like, time is so precious. I'm not a tree whacker. I don't do that. So this game has turned me into a tree whacker and I'm fine to do it. So, oh my God. My, my last question before we move on is because I'm dying to know, and hopefully everybody listening is dying to know, have you or have you not accidentally dropped your switch on your face using your new arm contraption next to your bed is it still working out or has your life come in danger yet no dude it is still 100 fine that thing has not budged from that arm it is <laughs> it is wedged in there it is solid i've i've moved the arm around repositioned it a few times taken taking the switch in and out of it it's totally solid that thing is not going anywhere so i feel like i would probably get some warning if the spring started getting loose but man it is it is tight that thing for 15 bucks is incredibly solidly produced so i've been very very happy with it. Um, I my switch is in that little arm. Uh, most nights these nights, it has not fallen. I am not in danger. I'm I'm good. Good. Okay. Good. A solid investment then. Excellent. Excellent. So that's all I have to say about Forager. Any last questions, Corey? I don't think so. Okay. Great. At this point, I think it's probably a good time to take a break. And when we come back, we will introduce our special guest and a very interesting game that we will have a very interesting discussion about. Sound good? Sounds like a plan. All right. And we're back. There has been no interruption for you at home, folks. But for us, we took a little break and kind of restructured the Game Critics West Studios. We've got everything all set up here. And we have a special guest with us. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we were going to be talking about a surprise game and a surprise guest. The guest, none other than my dear sweet wife, Gina Galloway. Say hello to the people, honey. Hello, people. <laughs> And the game is something that is uh, not anything that was on my radar. I don't think it was even on your radar, Corey. Um, so do you want to tell us what game we're going to be discussing and how it came about that it was brought to our attention? 
Yes, I would love to. So um, I have to give full credit. We're ha having a very like spousal show today because I have to give credit to my husband, Patrick, for uh, the tip on this game. So we, um, it came out of nowhere for me, but he uh, retweeted something by the writer, Laura Hudson, who um, she's, I wouldn't call her famous, but she's like a pretty big writer, very like kind of feminist driven writer. She's written for the New York Times for the Verge for um, The Guardian and a bunch of other places. And she's just kind of one of those rad uh, women that I follow on Twitter who's just kind of like a kind of like a fuck the system feminist kind of woman that I love to follow on Twitter. Uh, she's wonderful. But she played and wrote about a game, which this is going to get real confusing real fast because uh, the game in question is actually called The Game colon The Game, which sounds ridiculous, but it actually fits really perfectly for the subject matter of the game. So the game, for the game, the game, the game. Um, so Patrick saw this, uh, that she had tweeted about writing about the game, the game, which is a, it's kind of like a dating sim, which was developed by uh, a woman named Angela Washko. But the twist on this is that it's very much just kind of like a, like on the surface, it looks like sort of a run-of-the-mill like text adventure type dating sim where you have a person in front of you they say something you have a few different dialogue options to follow through on depending on what you want to say back to them you know very kind of what you expect from kind of a text-based um dating sim type game but the big twist on this game is that it's actually a game that was developed using sort of like tactics and quotes and like playbook skills. I don't know when to call them skills because that's a gross word to credit these with. But basically these kind of tactics that like pickup artists use to try to, um, you know, pick up women in bars or in clubs or on the streets or whatever. So instead of it being like kind of like a dating sim that you would expect to be sort of like a sexy, like, ooh, I want to go, I'm playing as this woman and I want to go pick up a dude in a bar. It's more like you're in the bar looking for your friend. The setup of the game is that you go to a bar after work to meet up with one of your girlfriends. And basically the entire game is you in these dialogue trees with these kind of like gross dudes who are using uh, sort of like pickup artistry tactics in order to take you home from the bar or to get you to drink more or to potentially like, you know, sexually harass or sexually assault you. So it's just kind of like the scenarios where you think it's like maybe a charming dude who comes up to you at first, but then you quickly learn that like they're a gross dude and all they really want to do is like pick you up for sex or, you know, maybe like sexually assault you in some way. So the subject matter of the game gets kind of creepy very quickly. And the game, something that I love about it is that it gives you full disclosure as soon as you start playing it, where it's like, hey, this game is going to feature like sexual harassment and other things, you know, and it, the game asks for your consent to play it, which I think is a really incredible thing before it even gets you into it. Um, but Brad and Gina and I have all played this and I will share a little bit of my woes um, going in after we kind of get caught up. But that is what the game is about. And um, was that a, does that do justice to the game? Would you guys say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I, the thing that I find really interesting is that this game, like you said, it's almost like a documentary. And I've actually heard some people describe it as survival horror, which I think is actually very accurate. Um, but these the, the characters featured in this game are actually I mean, they're not named. But if you look at their pictures, they look just like real people who are 
quote unquote, you know, well-known pickup artists. And I even hate that term. I think they, there needs to be a different term, just like sexual predator or something is what they are. <laughs> um, but these guys are guys who like have workshops, they have classes, they're, they're marketing their quote unquote skills online to other, to other men who have difficulty relating to women or whatever. And instead of teaching them to be decent human beings, they're teaching them to like do these really coercive, really gross things. But like everybody here is a real person. Um, Again, not named, but they are real people. You can see them online. And it says at the beginning of the game that these tactics that you are about to play through are are taken from their seminars, from their books, from their workshops. So everything that the player is about to go through is like legit what these guys are doing and what they are teaching other people to do, which really stomach turning, really, really stomach turning. So, um, honey, I'm going to have you hold on for just one second because... You and I talked about it in this morning, and I feel like the stuff that you had to say really put my ideas, and I'm sure are going to put Corey's ideas on this game into an entirely different light. Um, are you okay just holding on? We're going to bring you in at the end. Is that all right? Yeah, of course. Okay. So, Corey, so you were the since this was like kind of your game. I mean, Patrick brought it to you. You brought it to me. We we played it. Um, tell us really quickly, like, how did it go for you? And what were your impressions? I mean, so I think we have kind of a good good spectrum here. I mean, you're a gay man, obviously. I am a straight man and Gina is a straight woman. And so I think that we're kind of approaching this, this contact, this contact, what? No content. Sorry. <laughs> this content from three different contexts. Um, so what, so as, what was your perspective on this? What did you, what did you take away from this? What did you think about it? Well, um, whenever I first started playing it, I definitely, cause you know, I tried to live in my day-to-day -day life as a very like, feminist human being and I think part of that is just me being an empathetic human and the other part of that is me being a gay man because as a gay man I am I feel like I'm more sensitive to sort of maybe the difficulties or the struggles that like the average woman would go through on a daily basis and that's not to say that I'm you know like shot for shot with them because no one truly knows what it's like to live as a woman in American society other than women and I'm not a woman so I can't speak to that uh, all the way but I mean, feminist issues are something that we bring up on the show a lot. Like even just last week during banter, we were talking about the different ideals of like people who wear makeup and how women are expected to wear makeup all the time or, you know, dress really well all the time and just look like effortless and beautiful and how it's like bullshit because men can show up looking like trash and they get, you know, the same, if not more respect than society gives women whenever they show up looking their absolute best and being prepared. I mean, this is sort of like um, election season all over again. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so I try to like really empathize with women in sort of like a feminist way. And so coming to this game, it, uh, you know, it, it kind of sets itself up, you know, where you first get to the bar and you do play as a woman and there's no option to play as a man. So you're like in the shoes of a woman, the game was developed by a woman and you get to the bar. And the first thing that happens is you go to the bar to order a drink because your friend who's supposed to be meeting you isn't there yet. And so your first interaction is with the bartender. And that's a pretty mild interaction. Like he says, what do you want? And then immediately, um, you know, just because of like stories that I've heard and stuff that I've read about people getting, you know, their drinks potentially like drugged or something like that in nightclubs or in bars, I, I immediately on the first question was like, well, this puts what I want to order into a completely different context because you have the the option to order like a beer or like a mixed drink or I think water or you can order a, maybe nothing at all. I can't remember what the fourth option was. And so I ordered a beer because partially that's probably what I would have ordered in the first place if it were me, actually me in the bar. And then the other thing I was thinking about like, well, if I ordered a mixed drink, like it might be stronger 
or it might be more of like an open container, like a plastic cup rather than a glass bottle. And it's probably easier to like put some kind of drug into a cup with a bigger opening than it is with a glass bottle. And I have no idea if the game was going to go that far in, but that's like immediately what I was thinking about. And then right after you order, that interaction is pretty much over. And then you sort of like, it puts you into the scenario where you're looking around the bar and it's basically filled with like a bunch of gross dudes who are kind of like leering at you and you're sort of expecting them to come up and talk to you, but not really in like a good and sexy way. And then that's pretty much exactly what happens. Like, it's just kind of like one guy after another will come up to you and they all, you know, approach you slightly differently. You know, one guy, like the first guy that came up to me, I don't know if the game does them in all the same order, but the first guy that came up to me was this pretty like drunk dude who was getting like really handsy as soon as he came up and he was like trying to hold my hand and trying to hug me. And basically every interaction that you have with the person Um, You get, I think it's four choices. And the nice thing about it is that it does like kind of like a Mass Effect style thing where like it kind of like defaults to four choices. The first one is always like one where you're kind of like flirting and playing along with the person. The second one is one where you're like answering their questions, but you're not being flirty and you're also not being like rude or standoffish. And then the third one is like you're being slightly more standoffish or maybe just kind of like quietly refusing to answer the question that they're posing. And then the fourth one is always like, hey, fuck you. Hey, stop touching me. Fuck off. Or just like you leaving or something like that. So it's a pretty good like mix. And they all generally apply to those like every interaction you have. And so the way I played it, I generally would go for like, the second or third option. Like I was never flirtatious to the dudes. Um, I would sometimes answer their questions depending on what they were asking. Or sometimes I would just stay quiet or refuse to answer, but I was never, I would never be like, fuck you or I'm leaving or do that kind of response. Because, you know, like the game sets up this weird thing where like, not a weird thing, because it's a thing that people live with every day in their lives where, you know, like I often read and hear about like, you know, basically once you're in a scenario with a person like this, you're just kind of like trapped into talking to them and there's kind of like no good way to get out. Like even if you kind of like flirt with them and maybe like let them think that they're taking the lead and that they're like wooing you in a sense, like that isn't the best, maybe the best way to get you out of the situation. And even if you're like kind of nice to them, but a little bit standoffish, like you're still kind of trapped in the situation. And then if you just like straight up or like, hey, fuck you, leave me alone, then you become the enemy in the situation. And then it's like the guy's like, oh, well, you're just a fucking bitch. And like, maybe we'll, you know, like hit you or push you away. And so it's like, it's like this like catch 22 of like, no matter what you say to like a gross man, like you kind of are like setting yourself up. I mean, I don't want to say that because I don't want to put the blame on the woman, but like, you're like, no matter what you do, it's like hard to escape from these kind of gross men, and especially the men who are like there specifically to pick you up or, you know, that are there specifically to try to take you home or to try to like get you to drink more or whatever. And so like the entire time I was playing the game, I was, it's just like this weird balance of like, we'll do, what do I say now? What, like, how far can I push it? Or, you know, should I tell him to fuck off or will that get me in more trouble? And it really, it's just like, it really kind of antiquates, uh, I mean, and Gina, you'll chime in in a minute because I don't want to say what women think, but like to me, it felt like this is kind of a scenario in which this is like a thing that women have to go through all the time and coming from a man, even a gay man like me, like I'm never in this situation where, 
you know, I have someone hitting on me in a bar like this so aggressively and kind of so rudely and maybe so grossly, so I don't really ever navigate those spaces. Whereas I feel like women are perhaps forced into them a lot more often and it's just gross and they shouldn't have to deal with that. But that is something that this game sort of like, I mean, it's not that I wasn't aware to it, but having to like play through it in a sense really sort of opened my eyes a little bit more to just like how, you know, there's kind of like no right answer. I felt like whenever the dudes are being gross or there's like no perfect way out, it just kind of feels like it snowballs. And then you end up, I don't know, feeling sort of helpless in the scenario. And I don't, that's sort of a little bit of my takeaway from what I had played so far. Yeah, honey. Um, I, I, I think that your perspective on this is perfect. I'm really glad that you're with us today because Corey, hearing you say, say what you said is actually really en- enlightening. And out of the three of us, I feel like I failed when I played this game. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I, I fucked up when I played this game because it really shows a spotlight on how, even though like I am not a big guy, like I'm not a physically imposing person. I'm not like super muscular. Like if you saw me on the street, like nobody would be scared of starting shit with me. Like it, they would be like, yeah, whatever, cream puff, get out of here, right? Like I'm not that kind of guy. But even so, even though I am not a strong or imposing person, now now that I'm, I heard, I talked to my wife this morning, and I'm, I'm listening to you talk about it now. I can already pick up on places where. I took for granted that I have options that that you guys maybe didn't think you had or maybe wouldn't have had in that situation. Because when I started playing this game, I was disgusted from the get-go. Like, these guys are total creepazoids, and they come on to you really strong. And I was like, my immediate reaction was like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck all of you. (laughs) And, like, I didn't want to ever flirt with them. I didn't ever want to play along with them. But I think that that was because it was my straight male brain kicking in to where fuck you is like my default response <laughs> to that. And I felt like I could choose that. And now that I'm listening to you guys talk, I can see, okay, that totally spots a light on how my perspective in this situation would be different. So I'm going to stop talking. Um, honey, why don't you go ahead and start talking? Because I felt like that your comments in this section kind of echo cores and really like show like a different perspective on this. So can you tell me when you were going through this, how did you respond to these and what were the scenarios running through your head? Um, so to start with, I mean, Corey, the, the points that you made were a lot of the same things that I thought of. And as, as a woman, you're running scenarios in your head, I feel constantly, like not even just like going to bars, but just in any scenario. Um, when I first started the game, I mean, just to start, like, it was just kind of funny to like start the game up because it's like this ominous music and it's like kind of dark and like red. And I was like, Ugh. but at the same time I was like, okay, this pretty much mirrors what it's like to walk into a bar as a woman by yourself. So sure. Okay. I can, I can work with this. Um, so, you know, it's funny that you talked about the picking the drink because I actually did the same thing. I was like, okay, so it's, it's beer, wine, bourbon, or water is basically your choices. And I kind of did the same thing. I was like, okay, well, I'm waiting for my friend. It's a full bar. I'm by myself. So I'm probably not going to get a drink right now because I don't know what's going to happen. So I'll just get, I'll get a water because if you don't order something, that's every man's first in is to be able to come up to you and be like, oh, I want to buy you a drink Mm. or, oh, let me get you something. So if you already have something in your hand, that's one more kind of buffer you've put in between that makes it a little bit harder for people to just walk up and approach you. Um, So there was that part. But then as we started going, one of my first things that I thought of, and this is what I brought up to Brad when I first started talking about it, was I was debating, do I play it as I would want to respond to them or am I going to play it as 
how if I was actually in that scenario because they're two very different things. Because if I was playing the way I would want to respond to them, I would respond basically as a straight guy. You know, I'd be like, fuck off. I'm not, I'm not here for you. You're not, you know, like, I'm waiting for my friend. That's all I need to tell you. I don't even need to tell you that. I can just tell you to fuck off. Like, I don't need you in my space. But as a woman by themselves in a bar, and I, you know, before I got married, when I was single and going out to bars and stuff like that, I, I didn't, I've never had roommates. So I was always meeting my friends at the bar is usually what would happen. So there's like a whole process, you know, park in, in a safe spot, park where there's lights, park where you know you're going to be able to get there quickly and easily after you leave the bar, you get into the bar, you're kind of... I'm always scanning for exits when I get into a bar, like where is another way I can get out if I need to. I mean, and it's all those scenarios that you're doing like just in a few seconds. Like you're not really thinking about it. You're just going, okay, this is where I'm going to park. Okay, this is where I'm going to go in. This is where I'm going to sit so I can have my back to the wall so nobody can come up behind me, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but if I was going to play as I would normally handle a situation like that, you can't, at least to me, I mean, I'm 5'2", you know, and if I'm going in a bar by myself as a woman, I can't, I don't feel like I have the ability to be aggressive towards somebody or to be, or, or not even aggressive, just blunt, to just be like, no, I'm not interested, please just go away, I'm waiting for my friend or whatever, because not only do I have to worry about the situation that I'm in at that moment, which, yes, there's a lot of people around. Are they going to, like, you know, pull out a knife and drag me out? Probably not. But I have to worry about getting from the bar to my car afterwards. And then I have to worry about getting from my car to my house and getting into my house. And so you, as, a, as a woman by themselves in a bar, you have to think, what am I going to do that might cause that person to remember me and then follow me out mm. or wait for me or follow me home or those kind of things. So, you know, it's not even in the moment only that you're thinking about. You have to think about, okay, so if I bruise their ego, if I make them feel bad, are they going to take that as a signal that they need to teach me a lesson or, you know, or I'm just being coy or, you know, that kind of thing. So, so that was, that was my first thing was how do I want to play it? Do I want to play it how I, what I really want to say to them or do I want to play it like how I normally would? And so I ended up choosing as like, if it, if I was in the bar, you know, how to kind of mitigate the situation so that I don't piss anybody off. I don't hurt anybody's feelings, but I don't like, you know, lead them on or whatever, because I'm like, I have to deal with how do I leave? Cause I still haven't found my friend at that point. So I'm still by myself and I don't, you know, and they kind of set up the scenario that, you know, you're still looking for your friends. So there's all of these, these people coming at you while you're still looking for them. Um, so that was, that was my part of it. And then the other thing too, you know, we talked earlier about how, you know, there's whole like workshops and websites and, you know, videos about how to be these people. And like, really when it comes down to it, it's just how to manipulate women because one of the things that I really felt as I was playing it was that it felt very much like um, like when you call into customer service, like tech service, and you call and you're asking a question or they ask you something. And it's like no matter what you say, you can kind of hear that they're trying to find, oh, okay, where does that sentence? Okay, so I should tell them A, B, or C. So I'm going to pick this sentence, even though it doesn't 
really necessarily 100% relate to what you just asked me, but it kind of fits. And that's where it would go in the flow chart. So, and that's kind of what I felt like these guys were doing, that their questions were more like, what can I do to you to gain control over you? Whether it's, I'm going to embarrass you, I'm going to flatter you, I'm going to pressure you, I'm going to, you know, use social norms against you, like those kind of things. Like each of those guys, they were, you know, or guilt was another one. The one guy who's like, oh, you've, you know, I, I'm shy. And now you just made me go back into my shell for the next year mm. or whatever stupid line it was that they said. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, so it was really, it was, it was interesting and yet at the same time it was like oh yeah I've, I've met each one of these guys I, I've, I've, I've had interactions with guys like this in the bar every time I've gone out and you know I was telling Brad too that you know the, I think there's a certain um, assumption or expectation of a woman if she especially if she's by herself going into a bar that clearly she's here because she wants to be picked up you know, it can't be just she's legitimately waiting for somebody or she's just had a long week and wants to have a glass of wine but doesn't want to go buy a bottle, just wants to have a <laughs> glass and go home, you know. Like, there's this expectation that, oh, I'm, I'm just waiting for you. I'm just waiting for you to come up and, you know, sweep me off my feet or whatever it is that they think they're doing. So, so yeah, so that was some of the, you know, pieces that I took away from it. Another thing was... Um, you know, Corey, you mentioned, like, feeling like there was no perfect way out, like there was no right path, like answers to choose. And I think that that is 100% realistic, because one of the things you also learn as a woman early on is how to read body language really quickly. You know, you learn how to kind of gauge a per person's reaction. And so you say, okay, you know, thanks, but I'm not really interested. And then you see right away if they get closer or if they, you know, kind of back off or if they do, they get that look in their eye where they're like, oh, oh, you're that kind of bitch. Okay. You know, like that kind of stuff, like you, you figure that out pretty quickly, how to read that kind of stuff. And so there's never a perfect way out. Like whenever you're having an interaction with, you know, a man in a bar, because you just don't know who's coming at you and you don't know what's going to trigger them and what, their motives are so you're always kind of like okay is this somebody I can just be real clear and just nope not interested like I'm just gonna sit here and have my drink or is this somebody who you have to you know play the game a little bit to get them to just kind of like you petted their ego a little and now they just will move on so I think that that's really accurate that you don't really have a perfect way out there's not really like one path to take because you never know kind of kind of who you're addressing yeah that's a good point um and of course i don't have you know the same experiences or 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 reaction to it um the way that you did hun but as i was playing it the thing that really struck me the most and Corey, i'm curious about your take on this as well is um just how callous and like robotic these guys were i mean it's not i mean of course this was a game they weren't real people in a real situation but these are taken directly from these guys's playbooks right so this is pretty close to how they act in the real world and it's like they weren't even seeing me or, you know, my, my character as like a person. It was just like, 
they were kind of running these scenarios about like like Gina said, like to, to take control of the situation. And that was by design, you know, like, oh, let's try flatter. That didn't work. I'm going to try to get aggressive. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, I'm going to shame you in front of these people. Oh, that didn't work. You know, I mean, and I was defaulting to like, fuck you all the time. And <laughs> some of these guys were still pretty persistent, even after I was like doing like the renegade option of just like, please fuck off. I'm going to shoot you in the face. Um, and so it, it was kind of. I mean, it's not like I didn't know this was going on, but I think that playing this game was actually really a great thing to do because it really puts everything in a different perspective. And seeing, like, how unhuman they saw me as, like, like it was just a challenge or just, like, this guy is going to get what he wants no matter what, and he's going to say or do whatever it takes. I mean, the way that some of these guys vacillated back and forth between being flattering in one sentence and being threatening in the next sentence was really kind of horrifying because I would imagine that like, there is no way out. Like, you guys have both observed, there is no way out, and I think that's by design. And so, like, I was uh, thinking about if I was actually in the situation and if I was a woman, I would be terrified because how am I going to get out? And, like, if I do get out of this, what, I mean, what is going to stop this guy from, like, forcing whatever he wants to do? He clearly has no respect for me as a person. I mean, honestly, this feels like, this feels like a kind of, like, um, like of a rape of a sort, or, like, a, definitely like a sexual assault where... You're forcing this woman by taking advantage of social norms or physical intimidation or, you know, by implicit threat and making her do things that she has, you know, hopefully not told you she didn't want to do. And I just can't imagine. I mean, I guess I can imagine like how frightening that must be and how cold these people are. Like if they're out there teaching this as a class, like teaching this as a way to be like how soulless and empty are these people that they don't even see women as as, as creatures worthy of respect or as, as equal human beings. I mean, they clearly don't because you couldn't handle anybody like that. I mean, Corey, did you, did you get that same kind of like dehumanizing feeling when you were playing it? Like, was that hitting you kind of in the same way? Yeah, I think so. And like when Gina was talking about sort of like, almost like it was like dialing a customer service number, like that whole, it's kind of bouncing off of me where like, you know, they didn't, you know, the guys that come up to you, they don't really see you as a human being. They just see you as like a piece of meat and then they know how to, manipulate whatever you're saying like no matter what you could it's, it's almost like a like a multi-level marketing scheme it's like whatever you say back to them they already have an answer or a way to like twist what you said back into them manipulating uh, right, manipulating right. you to get what they want and it's it's just like the classic case of like even when it comes to like people who are in a relationship i think about this all the time we're like like, you know, say, like, a guy and a girl are dating for a while, and then they break up or something, and then the guy is always like, oh, well, that bitch is crazy, so I broke up with her. But really, it's like, okay, well, what did you do to make her crazy? Because she wasn't crazy on her own. You probably manipulated her in a way to make her do something finally where she got to the breaking point under your stupid bullshit, and then you just write it off as like, oh, well, she's just fucking crazy, man. And it's like, no, that's not that's not the way this works. You don't get to be an asshole and then just turn around and be like, oh, well, she's a crazy bitch, and then that's it. But it's just like that whole idea of manipulating and turning whatever they say against them and just like knowing the buttons to press and the way to twist the words around it just that game really brought a lot of that to light and it's really uh disgusting yeah, yeah i i definitely agree i mean there's it's kind of like what i was saying before about women learn pretty quickly how to read some of those microaggressions and some of those things that you you just you you see it like and you can't sometimes always articulate it but you see it, like watching, like reading some of those lines and stuff like that. You know, the some of the the there was one guy in particular. He was talking about 
Um, it was the one where he, like, you know, shames you in front of the whole group. I can't remember what the topic was, but it basically he just, like, you know, you kind of, like, my response to him was just kind of like, you know, no, I'm not engaging in this. And it was just basically to the group being like, oh, look at her, like, so ridiculous, right? And, you know, everybody chuckles and thinks it's so funny. And then, you know, so you're, like, belittled, and you're also then doing that, well, was I reading him right? Like... You know, because my gut instinct is usually pretty accurate with these people. And it's like, you know, you have that instant like, well, everybody else seems to like him and it seems fine. And so then you start letting that guard down and it's just and you shouldn't because that's not a good place to be. But, you know, like, um, Brad, you were talking about the dehumanizing part. And it's like that part really is disgusting because it's not really about. They're, they're not like, oh, I, you know, that that woman is really attractive to me. Like, she's got a beautiful smile or something. I'm going to go up and say hello. It's just, she's got boobs or whatever, mm. you know? Like, it's just, it's not about that particular person. It's just about trying to get control of that particular person. And it's, you know, it's a really gross thing to see. And yet, you know, when I was younger and going to the bars, like, like, you just expected that. Like, it wasn't even, like, a blip on my radar that men would act like that. I just expected that I would have at least a couple in the night that would be like that. And to me, it was always how did they respond when I tried to, like, get away from them? Because then I was like, okay, who do I have to keep an eye on when I leave? Or maybe I can leave, like, with a group of people that I don't know, but I can, like, kind of you know, follow them so that I at least have some other people around, you know? So, like, which is, you know, I mean, it's shitty. Our, our, you know, the bar should be set higher, you know? But when I was going to the bar regularly, I mean, that was just kind of, you just kind of expected it. Like, there would just always be those guys who, like, I could literally be anyone, and it's just, they just wanted to see if they could, like, succeed. And then, like, what could they get out of it? So... You know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just kind of something that you expect, I think, at this point. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that because I hear echoes of, like, kind of what my experiences have been growing up, but in, like, a totally different way. And, like, I think that yours, I mean, specifically, but also those of a woman are really, like, way more serious and way more difficult. Because, you know, like, growing up, like, I would have a smart mouth on me and I would have... You know, I got into a lot of fights growing up and for a while it was fine. But then once I, you know, stopped working out and I wasn't like as big as some of the other guys, you know, like there were situations where I would be afraid of getting into a fight because I probably wouldn't be able to beat this guy who was like two feet taller than me. But in those situations, like there's not the sexual element. Right. So, like, I learned pretty quickly how to defer to like the, the quote unquote alphas in the room where if some guy wants to do a dick measuring contest, I don't need to participate. I can just be like, oh, yeah, man, you're the best. And just like make a joke. And make him feel good about himself. And then he just fucks off and goes about his business because he wasn't trying to get in my pants. He just wanted to prove that he had the biggest dick in the room. And if you just straight up say, yeah, your dick is so huge, then he, like, is happy with that and he moves on. Oh, boy. Right? Like, you don't have to, like, you don't have to get into it with him, right? Like, you don't, he's not actually looking to beat you up. I mean, unless you're, like, in high school or something. He just wants you to, like, to show that you see him as, as more alpha than you or that he's the dominant one. And it's easy to do that. As a guy, just by, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're so funny. Oh, yeah, you're so great. You make so much money. Oh, I love your hair. Your car, your car is so great. Your wife's got such big tits. You're, you're awesome. And they just, they, they, they get happy with that and move on. But 
for something like what Gina's talking about, where this these people may be after like more than that, like they want to engage with you rather than just to prove their dominance. I mean, that's like a whole other level of engaging with someone. And it sounds to me just like way like infinitely more dangerous and way more difficult to navigate. So, I mean, getting just even a taste of that through this game to me was like really frightening and really horrifying, um, especially as someone I mean, you know, as male, I've never had to really go through that in these shoes, but I try to be really respectful. I would like to say that all the people that I've dated in the past would have good things to say about me and, you know, try to, you know, you know, like, uh, just, just be a good citizen in general and just like respect people. But seeing the kind of like lizard like behavior of these people and just seeing women as objects was really, really just fucking gross and really difficult to get through. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I got through this game, number one, I wanted to take a shower and number two, I wanted to beat the shit out of like all these guys because they were fucking scumbags. Like it was terrible. And I just was, I was just really horrified. I mean, honey, when you, when you got done with this, I mean, how did you feel? I mean, I know that this is bringing up a lot of stuff that you've had actual experience with, but like, do you feel like this game really effectively captured a lot of what it's like to be like a woman in a bar? Or do you feel like this was pretty true to life? Yeah, I feel like it was, it was pretty accurate. Like I said, every single one of those guys that they had come up that, that, that kind of, um, character, you know, personality. I've I've come in contact with every single one of those at a bar at some point or another where it's, you know, the shaming, the using the social norms against you, the guilt, the flattery, you know, all of those things. But it's like, you know, you know that they're not really seeing you. They just ultimately it's a conquest. You know, they need to win in some way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like it was pretty accurate. Um, some of the responses I felt like were kind of odd, um, and I don't know if it was just like they were kind of trying to lead you a certain way, but some of the responses I thought were a little like, really, I wouldn't really say any of those things, but okay, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, I felt like it was pretty accurate, and it's, it's funny because, um, one of the other things that kind of stuck out to me was when you start the game, you get your drink, and one of the first things you do after you have your interaction with a bartender is you turn to your right, and you're basically like sitting at a bar, like a long bar, and you turn to your right and they have like like three or four guys that are just like right there. And like, <laughs> you know, they have this like look on their face, like they're all just, they have just like different variations of smarmy looks on their face, you know, where they're kind of smirking. They're kind of like, oh, here we go, you know? And it was just like, it really is kind of like, you know, that, what it, what did somebody call it like a horror adventure game or whatever. survival horror yeah yeah <laughs> and it was kind of where it's like you know you turn and you're kind of like okay okay here we go like now it's going to start you know and especially if you are a woman who doesn't you know is not showing openly that you're attached to somebody else in the bar it, you're basically fair game is what ends up happening it's funny you mentioned that scene because when you do see that picture of all those guys right next to you leering, like that's totally a scene where like I would want to check my ammo to make sure I've got enough to make it through that room because right. <laughs> I would I would I would need to like have the rocket launcher at the ready to clear that room out of the scumbags. Um, Corey, so I guess I'm curious. I I don't know your dating history. We haven't really talked about that on the show, and you know, feel free to not disclose if you don't want to. But I guess are there parallels to this, like when you were dating or like when you were. Um, you know, before you got married and stuff, like, is some of this echoing to you as, like, a gay man in the gay dating world at all? Well, I mean, I'm kind of maybe lucky, perhaps, in the sense that I've never... I didn't really date a whole lot whenever I was younger, because whenever um, I was, like, in college or in high school, I didn't... Um, 
I didn't really, I mean, I've only had like a few serious boyfriends, one of whom is my husband now. So I guess that's pretty successful for me. But um, I did, I mean, the first guy I seriously dated in high school, my senior year of high school, he didn't like, I, I was never approached in this way. Like we met in a very kind of like amicable, like dating scenario. Um, but to, I mean, toward the end of the relationship, it became really toxic and he like started stalking me and he like threatened to kill himself and like all of that stuff that comes along with like breaking up with somebody. But that's like a completely different discussion than what is on this end of the game. Um, but even not having dated, because I mean, like sexual harassment, sexual assault is a very real thing in like the gay male space too. Like I know someone who met a guy on like Tinder or Grindr or something who ended up sexually assaulting him. And that, you know, so that's a very real thing that happens in the gay space as well. Um, but even like in my day-to-day -day life now, um, being a gay man and even being married or what have you, um, I still feel like I don't, I definitely don't go to the extent that women do. Like when Gina was talking about, I mean, this is something I hadn't really thought about in the context of the game, but when she was talking about, you know, like knowing exactly where to park, knowing that you're parking in a well-lit area, knowing that you have an escape plan to get back to the car whenever you're finished with doing whatever you're doing. I mean, I've definitely heard stories about that, you know, hearing stories about women who like, you know, they check under their car and they check in the back seats every time they get in their car because you just never know, you know, somebody could have broken into their car and could be in it or something. Um, but when I was playing the game, I hadn't really thought about that specifically. But even parallels to that, I feel um, uh, like being a gay man on a day-to-day -day basis, like um, if I'm in like really hyper-masculine places, like sometimes even when I'm like shooting at the skate park or something, because like most of the skateboarders are like, you know, pretty like muscular straight dudes. Um, or if I'm out at a bar either by myself or maybe with another friend, like I feel a lot of the same. It's just like, it's not people hitting on me or like scummy dudes like coming up trying to like get in my pants or whatever, but it's just like the overall awareness of like, you know, I am a gay man. Like if, you know, it's just basically like trying to like constantly pass for being straight a lot, which I mean, luckily I think I don't have a big problem with that. Um, because I, I tend to, like, the gender roles that I tend to perform on a daily basis are, like, pretty masculine. Like, I do have, like, fingernail polish, but as we've discussed on the show before, like, fingernail polish is kind of taking over sort of, like, in the punk space. So it's not, it's definitely, like, widely. It's not just like, oh, he has his fingernails polished. Obviously, he must be gay. Like, that's not really what's going on here. Um, but... I try to just like carry myself in a little more of like a sturdy way whenever I'm out by myself or I'm thinking about like, you know, if I'm walking around downtown uh, New Orleans by myself, I think about like, okay, well, you know, what would I do if somebody, you know, thought I was gay and came up to me and like tried to fight me or, you know, what if someone like harassed me or like called me a fag in the streets or something like that? Like those are the kind of scenarios I'm always running through my head. So it's sort of like the preemptive stuff, like, it's not necessarily, like, when I get to the bar, like, working, worrying about dudes, like, hitting on me and stuff, but it's more about just, like, being gay in society, which I think parallels a little bit about, like, being a woman in society, because, like, Gina was talking about, you know, thinking about the car parking and the routes and everything, and I sort of run through some of those same scenarios in my head, but I, it's rare that I've been in a scenario where I've, like, been in a bar and somebody has like hit on me or you know somebody has been trying to do this like pickup thing because it's I mean it's I don't know I just don't think that happens as often as women because with a man even with a gay man like 
like, you know, like Gina said, like, if you're a single woman in a bar, like, you kind of are this odd target for every other man in the bar to, like, signal to try to pick you up or whatever. And I don't think that's necessarily true with men. So luckily, I haven't really had to deal with that specific thing. But there's sort of, like, the tertiary stuff around it that I try to, like, monitor and think about. Um, and I also, like, on the other side of this coin... Um, whenever I'm out in public, I try to be aware of other women around me and what they're going through. Um, and like, I've been in situations before where I've like kind of learned that a guy who maybe I thought was charming or that I thought was interesting or that I thought was like a nice sort of like feminist guy is maybe like not quite the charming guy that I thought he was before. And I have just like straight up alerted other like female friends of mine and been like, Hey, just so you know, like, I know you're not trying to, like, hook up with this dude, but I just want to let you know that, like, this is what he said to me earlier, and I just want to kind of alert you. So I try to, I don't know, do my part as, like, a feminist ally to kind of, like, alert other women, maybe, that men are being a little scummy or being a little weird. So, like, I try to use, I don't know, I guess, like, my, like, male pr privilege in that sense to sort of, like, be a beacon for other women to try to alert them to that kind of stuff, because... I mean, women, I feel like need men to stand up for them because if a woman stands up to a guy, he's just going to be like, oh, you're a bitch, whatever. But if like another guy stands up and is like, hey, maybe you shouldn't treat her like that. I feel like that's a lot more powerful than like if a woman that a dude already doesn't respect stands up to him, then it's not really going to go very far. But if another like male companion says something, then maybe that'll finally click with the dude. So I try to be that guy whenever I can to sort of like alert women to that kind of stuff or to maybe call a dude out on his behavior or something like that. So I don't know. That was a long try not answer, but that's some of the things that I think about on a daily basis. Well, it's funny you say well, that. And, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that last piece that you mentioned. I mean, you know, part of being that ally too is, you know, because it's not always safe for us to even speak up. You know, it's not always safe for a woman to tell a man that she's, you know, not interested or to back off or whatever. And sometimes because then, the, you know, like we said, the anger, the aggression, the, you know, whatever it is that they're feeling is directed at her or at me. And whereas, you know, if the guy who's sitting next to you overhears all this shit and is like, hold on a second, like, clearly she said no. I can overhear this whole conversation. So I'm just going to be like, nope, she's good. You need to back off because, again, a person like that is not going to follow that dude to his car. You know, he's going to, like, be mad and be annoyed, but he's not then going to be directing it at her. He's more than likely going to be directing it at that guy, but not act on it. You know what I mean? Well, I was going to follow up with that because, you know, as I mean, this is a really good discussion because I feel like we're capturing like many different angles of of this that I think that, you know, not not one person would be capable of seeing. So I think this is really good because kind of following up on these comments, you know, as as the token straight guy in this discussion, um, I, you know, with my work, I'm often out at night and I'm often in places that are maybe not super well populated. I find myself in parking lots or in dark streets where I don't really want to be, but I'm sometimes there for work. And I often will, like, keep an eye out, not only just to protect myself from crime, but, like, if I see women that are walking by, like, I'll just keep an eye on them and, like, you know, make sure that they are getting where they're going. Not that I approach them or anything, but just, like, in case someone goes up to them, I'll at least be aware that there's a person who might need some help. And so I would be around to help out if possible. And, like, in, 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 in another sense, um, what I will often do, and this is the thing that I do more often, is, like, when I, when I am going back to my car or I'm walking down the street or something, it's usually dark, it's night... If I see a, a woman who is uh, walking by herself, 
I notice that she immediately notices me. And then I will try to like signal that I am not being a threat. And so I will like, I will make sure that I'm not walking too closely to her. I will make sure that I I slow my pace down. I'm a pretty fast walker and I don't want to make it seem like I'm gaining ground on her. And so I will purposely like slow myself down to give her more breathing room. Or I will even stop sometimes and like pretend to look at my phone to let her get further away to make it feel like I'm not chasing her, even though I'm not chasing her. I'm just like, you know, it's dark. And if you're alone and if there's only one other person on the street, of course, you're going to watch out for that person. You want to make sure they're not following you. So I will I will alter my behavior to make it like more obvious to that person that I am not interested. I'm not pursuing. I'm not a threat, um, which takes basically no nice effort. guy. <laughs> no effort on my part to do. And then. I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of similar to like kind of, um, you know, with all the increased racism and hatred going on in the country right now, I'm often kind of doing like the same thing for people of color or, or people that I, I'm watching on the street. Like if I see like people who are obviously not white and there's people around, I'll kind of keep an eye on them. And if anybody starts shit, then I'll like, I'll be over there to like kind of help them out if they need help, you know, because I mean, I hate to say it, but like if another white guy gets in another white guy's face, like you guys observed, it's a little bit more of a barrier for that guy to keep getting over Whereas if it's just a white guy beating up on a woman or on a brown person, different power dynamic, right? But if a, a number of white guys get in and say, hey, hey, disgusting white guy, back the fuck off. Well, then it's it's one more layer of protection. And it's even, I mean, it's, it's a privilege that I can even think those thoughts to be like, oh, maybe I could help this person out or whatever. And it, I wish that the world was a different place and that we wouldn't have to think these thoughts. But it is something that goes through my mind. But obviously that's different than what is going through you guys' mind because... Um, you know, I do sometimes think about where I park at night because I'm in dark places and not the best areas all the time. But what you guys are both describing is like a whole other level of like situational awareness and like constant like ever present danger that that you guys experience on a, a daily basis. So I think it's it's good that we're able to like talk about this and highlight this and hopefully that people listening or, or, or who are generally listening to this podcast and interested in games will maybe, you know, if they made it this far in this discussion will have their eyes open a little bit because I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I feel like definitely I've learned um, more than a lot from, from both of you, like on how you see things and how just day-to-day experience um, can be lived. And that was all brought about by the game, the game, the game. So I guess I'm really <laughs> glad that we played it. Cause I feel like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like this has been a really good discussion. I mean, how do you guys feel about what we talked about and where we landed? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, you know, I think it's really interesting to have these discussions, you know, I mean, I know, as soon as I was done playing it, you know, you and I kind of had a conversation with it and I could see that you were like, oh, well, yeah, there's that, you know, because I was just doing it from my from my own experience. And, you know, talking about some of that situational awareness, you know, clearly that conversation, I mean, the conversation has already been there, but the conversation is happening more with all of these mass shootings that are happening and stuff like that. A lot of people have been talking about I am more aware of where my exits are, of what's going on around me. And it's funny because... I mean, I think I even mentioned this to you, Brad, that it's like, I was like, women already do that. Like, we just kind of do. And then becoming a mom, like, I did it even more. So when we, when I would be out, especially when um, our son was littler, like, I would always like, how would I get out? And what would I do with my child to keep him safe and get people away from him or you know, do something to keep us safe or how would I get out, you know, so like it added this even additional layer and I, you know, probably some people would think I'm paranoid, but like I'm always thinking about that because I don't have the physical ability to just overpower somebody. And then if I throw my child into the mix, there's an additional like person. But, you know, like you were saying, you know, I see, you know, like Muslim women out in, you know, riding the bus or something. And like you said, I kind of just keep an eye out. 
sometimes it's just as simple as like making eye contact and smiling at them and just you know i'm i'm here i notice you we're you know everything's good so i'm just gonna keep an eye out as well and you know i mean it's just kind of looking out for each other more yeah yeah for sure for sure um, I mean, I feel like this has been a great discussion. I'm really thankful um, that we've had this opportunity to talk about this stuff. Uh, I've learned a lot. Hopefully the listeners have enjoyed this discussion. Uh, Corey, I, I would like you to pass on to Patrick that I'm really glad that he suggested this game to us. I never would have heard about this if, if he hadn't brought it to our attention. And I feel like it's been a really good discussion that I feel like was very valuable. Um, so make sure that you thank him uh, for that. But I mean, I think this has been great. I, I don't have any more thoughts to add to this, but if you guys have any final wrap-up uh, issues to bring up or any thoughts or comments or anything, we can get to those, and then we should probably move on uh, to the end of the show. Um, Gina, I'm going to go to you first. Any Anything, final thoughts, anything you'd like to say? No, I think that it was an interesting undertaking. I think the more interesting part was the discussion afterwards. So, you know, I would encourage anybody who's going to play this to find somebody maybe in a different, you know, kind of like what we did, right? We have a gay man, a straight man, a straight woman, and, you know, maybe have somebody that you know in a different situation play it as well and then kind of have the discussion afterwards. I think it was that was actually even more interesting than playing the game because the game kind of just made you feel gross. But, you know, good discussion. <laughs> totally. Corey, I mean, what? any final thoughts or any takeaways or anything that you want to say? Um, I will just start by saying that obviously we had this discussion so that Brad and I could just continually pat ourselves on the back for being the best male feminists out there. <laughs> no, not really. Um, I just, uh, I, I do think that this is a great discussion, but also, um, it was a sad discussion cause it's just a constant reminder of the things that people who are not like straight white dudes have to go through in society on a daily basis. But I feel like we're doing our part to, you know, as we often do on the show to kind of talk about like social justice issues or talk about stuff that's going on in society that's more that's more than just the game itself. And I'm glad that we had this discussion. And uh, thank you, Gina, so much for coming on to talk about this and for taking the time to play the game and to come on because having, um, you know, th there's nothing worse than having a panel of all white dudes talking about diversity. <laughs> so like we can do our best to like bring, you know, other uh, other kind of people on the show, you know, be it women or be it, you know, people of color or whatnot. So thank you for coming on the show. And I appreciate you taking the time to play the game and to discuss this with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right. We're going to let you go now. Thank you for joining us, honey. And I will see you at home. <laughs> All right. Bye. Okay, bye. All right. Well, thanks again to my wife, Gina Galloway, for joining us on the show. Also, Corey, thank you uh, to Patrick for the suggestion. I think this was a great suggestion. And I think the takeaway is just play this game. I mean, it's free. I don't think we mentioned that, but it's free. You can download it and it takes, I mean, I played through it in about 15 minutes or so. Corey, I think you spent a little bit more time on the game, but I think that anybody who is at all interested in the issues we discussed, or if you actually made it through the entire chat, I mean, please just take a few minutes. You can play the entire thing in one sitting and you'll get a pretty good firsthand view of what we were talking about. Uh, agreed? Agreed. All right. Excellent. Uh, so now let's go. What are we? What are we doing? What are we doing? We that was such a good discussion. I kind of got <laughs> lost in the whole in the whole moment of the thing. Um, I think we should let's take a short break. Let's take get, a short break. Yeah, and then we'll come back and do the Q and A and sign off. How about that? Let's do that. All right.
All right. So before we get to the end of the show, um, I do again want to apologize to listeners who sent in some questions. Like I mentioned earlier, we've been sitting on these for a while. No one to blame but ourselves, specifically me, because I should have gotten these on the script a lot earlier than I did. So I, I am sorry for taking so long, but we are going to answer these questions now with no further ado. First one comes from the mailman with calves of steel, Joshua Jackson, your friend and mine. Uh, he says, hey, I worked at a Thai restaurant for six years. Uh, I, mean, I mean, before he carried the mail. I mean, man's doing God's work. He's bringing mail. He's serving Thai food. I mean, like what better citizen <laughs> could you possibly ask for? He says, uh, Thai is absolutely my favorite kind of cuisine. What are your guys' favorite meals? Corey, what are your favorite meals, sir? Well, I feel, first of all, I feel like a goober because I answered this on Twitter whenever, like, he asked us. Because sometimes, you know, every once in a while we'll get someone who'll just be like, hey, quick question on Twitter. And then I just answer them because I have no patience for stuff. And then I go back and think, okay, maybe we should talk, actually talk about this on the show. So this is a, a twofer where we did, I did answer it very foolishly on Twitter. And now we're back talking about it for a more thorough answer. But Long story short, um, I love Thai food, and every time we go to a Thai restaurant, we, me, me and Patrick, or just me by myself, I always get pad thai every single time. Pad thai, usually you can choose what kind of meat you want in it. I always get tofu. Um, I, if I were to get meat, I would get chicken, um, but I always get pad thai with tofu. Um, I still get the egg. That's the question they always ask. I say, can I get fried tofu? And they say, yes. Do you still want the egg? And I say, yes, because I am... Uh, I'll take a vegetarian dish, but I feel like egg is the thing that really makes pad thai kind of like come together. Um, and if they ask what spice level, because a lot of restaurants do uh, spice levels, Thai restaurants, if it's on like a five point scale, I usually do a four. And if Whoa. it's on like a, yeah. And if it's on like a 10 point scale, I'll do like a seven probably Whoa. or eight. You're hardcore, um, dude. You're hardcore. Yeah, I mean, I usually end up regretting it about 20 minutes later. But also, some places, like, you order, like, I'll say, like, a four. And then, you know, they're like, oh, this fucking white guy. And they, like, make it not that spicy. So um, it just kind of depends. But I always get pad thai, always with tofu, and always get, like, a not the highest spice level, but, like, pretty high. All right. I love Thai food as well. Um, I eat it pretty often. Uh, I mean, it's just like I eat it so often, like I feel like I can't even really pick it as my favorite thing because I just have it so often. But um, I usually get a pad thai as well. But I get I like to eat it with egg and I actually get like extra egg because that's like my favorite protein to have in it. And so I will often ask them, you know, can you just skip the tofu or chicken or whatever and just give me like extra egg. And then if they do, then that's great. Uh, but I have a friend, a good friend of mine, who I used to go out uh, to Thai with all the time when I was back in college. And she used to say that when you go to Thai, if you are not leaving with diarrhea, you did not get it spicy enough. So oh I don't know that I agree with that, but that has always stuck with me all these years. And uh, that's something you can now think about as well. Um, as far as my other favorite stuff to eat, um, I do love Katsu Burger. I've talked about it a million times on the show. I eat there probably more often than I should, which is a Japanese-style burger place here in Seattle. I think they originated in Seattle, if I'm not mistaken, where they have really good ingredients. They have these really big burgers, and you can get chicken or pork or tofu or beef. And they um, katsu fry the, the patty. They also offer really good milkshakes and french fries that have uh, nori seaweed on top of them, which is delicious. Um, I'm always down for sushi. I'm always down for a taco truck. Uh, and this is going to be like totally like jackass. Can't believe he actually said this. But like one of my favorite things to eat, my favorite kind of cuisine 
It's just like uh, something that I cook myself. Like one of my own favorite dishes is just something I make. Um, I make this salmon. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the show before, but I love fish. I love salmon especially. And I have this one particular recipe that I've been working on for many years. And I just, I, I love making that thing. I love serving it to my family. My wife did not like fish until I made it for her. And then she really liked it after that. My son eats it, no problem. And he's like 10. So if you can get a 10 year old to eat it, then you know you're doing good. Um, so I make a very particular kind of a salmon. Um, we can talk about the recipe some other time if you like to. But that's like one of my favorite things to do too. But I mean, I'm, I'm down for basically anything. But if, if I get my pick of anywhere to go in Seattle, it's probably Katsu Burger, I'm guessing. So that would be my favorite kind of. I don't know if that's, that counts as a cuisine. It's kind of a fusion cuisine, <laughs> but that's my favorite thing to get. So Joshua Jackson, sorry we waited like a million years to answer your question. You probably forgot you even asked it. You probably don't even care by now, but we <laughs> answered it. Sorry, we will not wait that long again. The second question that we have on tap today is going to be a more difficult one. And I would give I would give a warning, a trigger warning to people listening to the show. Uh, we don't usually talk about politics because I know that a lot of people look to our show as an escape from politics. I know we all are fighting the good fight right now, but you got to take some mental health time. You got to take a few minutes to just breathe and just get away from things. I totally get that 100%. And this, we're not going to turn the show into like hyper politics um, in general, but we did get asked a very specific set of questions by superfan Jeroen in Germany, and I feel like we do have an obligation to answer them. So we're going to go through these really quickly, and we're going to do our best to answer these. But if you're a listener who comes to the show to get away from politics, maybe fast forward like five minutes or maybe look to the timestamps on the show to just get ahead of this or something. Uh, but just as a heads up, we're going to be talking politics for like the next couple of minutes and just, you know, you've been warned. And we're, we're talking about it because we were specifically asked. So I'll go through the questions. Corey, you answer first, I'll answer second, and then we'll uh, we'll see where we end up. Sound good? Yes, and also I'm like woefully underprepared to answer every single one of these questions. So take my answers with a grain of salt. No problem. I like it salty. So let's roll ahead. Uh, first question from Jeroen in Germany. Who is your favorite Democratic presidential candidate? He says, um, I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name. Pete, do you know how to pronounce it? I don't. Buttigieg? I'm hearing from the audience. Buttigieg. <laughs> uh, he says, Pete Buttigieg, by far, love this guy so fresh. Corey, who is your favorite Democratic presidential candidate? Um, so far, I would have to go with Elizabeth Warren because she seems to have uh, just the most, like, kind of, like, well, she has a ton of experience, first of all. That's really important to me. And she just has kind of like a can-do, like, here's my policies, we need to get shit done attitude that I really appreciate. Um, so she is probably my top pick right now. I agree. I would also pick Elizabeth Warren for basically the same reasons. She seems to have the biggest, like, no bullshit factor, um, which I really appreciate. She seems to really think through her answers. She doesn't seem afraid to, like, take on Trump directly and challenge some of the stuff that he says. Uh, and the stuff that she says makes fucking sense. Like I listened to her answers and I'm like, yes, I think that would work. Like this makes sense to me as opposed to some of the other candidates who talk a big game, but don't really have any real plan to get us there. So I would also pick Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I'm hoping that she gets to the point where we can vote for her. Cause I will definitely vote for her. Next question. Who do you think has the best chance of beating Trump and why? I mean, Jeroen says Bernie. Um, I I'm going to stick with Warren for basically the reasons we just discussed. I'm assuming you will too. Yeah, I mean, I don't sort of like the guys of that the sort of the blanket answer I can give to a handful of questions that I can just go ahead and preface now um, going forward is like, you know, when we have this idea of like who do you think has the best chance of like winning or the best chance of beating whom or whatever, I mean, you you just kind of have to like 
think about the fact that the American voting system is not only like rigged because of the electoral college, but it's also like you have to assume that every vote is going to count or that we're not going to have any kind of like international interference with our voting, you know, cough, cough, Russian interference, cough, cough. Um, so like really like anything can happen here. Like, I mean, uh, Clinton won. She had like 3 million more votes than Trump in the 2016 election. And that's if we're assuming that the numbers were actually correct and they weren't somehow altered or interfered with. And yet he still won the election. So like, as far any question that's like, who will beat whom or who will win? Like, it's really, I, I just don't feel confident answering those because when it comes to the American, like political system, every, like nothing goes the way, like nothing works the way you think it will. So it's like, I just don't want to be like, okay, I think this person will win because you just don't really, I mean, it's unfortunate that it's that way because you would think that as an American citizen, every vote would count for your vote, but that's not really how things work here. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I, as I'm rereading Jareen's question, I wonder if he's asking not who we would want to beat Trump, but maybe he's asking who we like, like kind of what you were saying, who we think will game the system enough to have the best chance of beating him. Maybe that's not the person that we like, but maybe like in a larger, like countrywide sense of who might be able to beat Trump. I don't know about that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think we can, we can only get behind the people we can get behind. And I think that right now we need to stop gaming the system. We need to stop trying to like vote um, with a strategy. I think you just need to vote with your heart and vote with who you think you can really get behind. And I'm largely for the reasons that you answered. I mean, along with this question that he just asked, he also asked, who do you think will win the democratic nomination? Um, which again, I think probably gets back to who do we think the system is going to put forward rather than who do we really want to see win um, in our heart of hearts. Um, following that, he says, tell me if and why Joe Biden is not that great. So, I mean, I guess a lot of people are looking to Biden, but I don't think, I mean, I don't know about you. Joe Biden is not even on my radar. He's not a candidate. <laughs> um, I thought he was an okay dude when he was second fiddle to Obama, but now that he's kind of taken more of the spotlight, I am liking him less and less and less. He says a lot of stuff that I think is stupid and inappropriate. He seems really out of touch with the American people. Um, he's also really too old. He doesn't seem ready to take... He's, he doesn't seem ready to fight the fight that we need to fight right now. He seems ready to settle things back into the norm, which I think we are we are past the point of, of accepting that anymore. I think things have gone too far. We can't just get a guy who's going to take us back to the status quo before Trump won. I don't think that's going to work. So, I mean, other than that, Bernie. I mean, I, Bernie is like this old guy. He talks a big talk, but he has no walk to back it up. He doesn't really have a way to make a lot of his big ideas happen. And he's got a lot of questionable shit in his past too. Like his voting record isn't perfect. And his answers to a lot of stuff I feel like are just really pat. Like he's, he's trying to keep his Bernie bros happy. But I think that if he push comes to shove, I don't think he's going to be nearly the guy that we think he is or that he likes us to think he is. Um, I don't know. So, okay. So the next question is, will Trump be beaten in 2020? So I'm going to ask you first, Corey, I think you've already partially answered this, but do you think he will be beaten in 2020? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I certainly would. I think that would be the best scenario. Um, even if it's somebody that, you know, a democratic candidate that we don't necessarily want an office like Joe Biden. Like I would rather not see like Joe Biden be president, but I would rather see him be president than Trump. Um, 
but I, I mean, I don't know. Like I said earlier on, like you have to assume that the vote is going to be fair and even and balanced, and we can't assume that in American society. So it's really hard to know exactly what's going to happen. Very true. And the second part to Jareen's question is, don't say I don't know, yes or no, please. So, <laughs> so, so if you had to pick one, what would you pick? You mean like if he'll be beaten or not? Yeah, it's got. He's asking for a straight yes or no. I oh, should have read the whole thing first. My bad. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I read that ahead of time, but I'm not going to be like bullied into saying yes or no um, <laughs> by somebody who doesn't it. even live in America. But I mean, yeah, if you want to say yes, yes, because obviously I want to keep my hopes and spirits up on the show. Um, but it's just hard to know because again, like you can win by three million votes and still lose in America, so it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. That's hilarious. Your answer is hilarious because it kind of takes us back to our the game, the game, the game discussion because you're not going to be bullied into agreeing with this guy. So Jeroen is trying to like pick up artist you into giving him a yes or a oh no, boy. and you're like, I will not be, I will not play your game, Jeroen. Uh, not to say that Jeroen's a pickup artist. That's just kind of a little echo of what we just discussed. Um, as for me, will Trump be beaten in 2020? Well, I guess it depends on what you mean by will he be beaten. If you're asking me, do I think that there are enough good citizens in America? that will cast their votes that will theoretically outnumber the evil, shitty, racist, hateful people. Yes, I do think that we have far more people in America who are not racist, who do not support these bullshit policies, who do not want this fucking con artist in the White House. But if you're asking me, do I think that is that going to be the result of the 2020 election? I would have to say, no, I don't think so. Because I think that Trump will stay in office not legitimately, though. I think that either between a combination of gerrymandering districts uh, by rigging vote machines, which many of which have been proven to be owned by Russian corporations, uh, by having courts stacked with right-leaning uh, judges who favor Trump policies, and by you know a lot of psyops being conducted in Facebook and social media and stuff like that, um, I I don't think that he will be beaten. Um, because I think the votes will be skewed. We will not get a true vote, again, because of the Electoral College, on top of all those other things. And here's what's going to happen. If by some miracle, um, like, Trump has had four years to fuck the system over. Like, we're leaving, we're leaving the fox in the hen house for four years, and we're praying that the chickens are still going to be there when we come to collect the eggs. Uh, you can't do that. You can't expect that those eggs are going to be there. Of course he's fucking things over. Of course he's, like, corrupting things. Of course he's swaying the system. We've He's had free reign of, like, all these systems for four fucking years. He'd be, I mean, and, and, and whether Trump's an idiot or not, he's got enough people surrounding him to want him to win because they're all profiting from it. So, of course, there's going to be enough people in there to try to get their fingers in the system and, and sway things his way. So I, I predict what's going to happen is that either people in America are going to be outraged, as they rightfully should be. We're all going to get together and vote. And I think there's way more of us than there are of them. And I think that the votes are going to be, you know, it's going to be like this tidal wave of votes kicking him out of office. And he's going to say, sorry, vote tampering. We can't count these results. I need to stay in office until we sort it out. And he's going to use that as a smokescreen to stay in office. And once he, stay, once he does that, he's there permanently. He's not going to leave. Or uh, the votes are going to be corrupted. Uh, the Electoral College is going to be swaying things. And he's just going to, quote unquote, win again, despite having this landslide of votes against him. Like, either way, I don't see... I do not foresee a peaceful handover of power. I don't see a peaceful transition. And I feel like we are in for some very, quote unquote, interesting times ahead, which I am kind of deathly afraid of. So I feel like we're in for a very rough ride in the very near future. Yeah, so, and it's, I mean, it's also even bold to assume that, like, 
the earth will be here in 2020. God, no shit, dude. No shit. If we want to go full dark, yes. Well, there, we're, we're on the verge of having 20% less oxygen on the planet earth, which I think is pretty fucking significant. So yeah, will we be riding around with our Mad Max vehicles scrounging for drops of gasoline? Who's going to give a shit about the fucking election? Then we're going to be looking for rats to eat and drops of fresh water. So that could be a fucking realistic thing too. So I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I know Jareen didn't want an I don't know, but all I foresee is, is not good times ahead. So I'm going to hope for the best, but I'm going to ex- expect the worst. So we'll see what happens. Um, and Jeroen's final question. Do you still love me? Of course we do, Jeroen. Of course we do. <laughs> I feel comfortable speaking for you, Corey. I mean, I'm assuming you love Jeroen as well. Of course. Yes. Of course we love Jeroen. Um, and we're going to go crash on your couch when America starts burning and things go to hell and, and Trump wants us to be his like meat slaves and whatever, uh, salt mine he's got going. We're going to, we're going to hop a boat. We're going to go over to Germany and we're going to stay with you, Jeroen. So make some room on your couch. And that silence is him. I'm imagining saying yes. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Any final comments, Corey? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, there we go. Thank you both for the questions, uh, Joshua and Jeroen. And of course, anybody else listening, feel free to uh, send in your questions as well. And I promise we will try to do better in answering those more promptly. Again, I apologize. Uh, But this brings us to the actual end of the show. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And as promised at the beginning, we are giving away more games. Giving away games. So many, so many games to give. We have PS4, Xbox One, a lot of Xbox One. We have Switch. And we have so many PC codes. It is fucking ridiculous. If you play games on PC, this is your week, bro. Send me an email. I will hook you up. I will give you so many free games. Just write in. All you got to do is email and ask for one. Uh, the game might be great. The game might be awful, but either way, the game will be free. Where do you email? Same place where you send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to hit us up. So video games podcast at gmail.com. One email address does it all. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com after the show goes up. We are on Twitter as a show collectively at so video games, but you can reach us individually, probably a more direct and more effective way. I am on Twitter and Instagram, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, Brad Galloway. Corey, where are you on the social media? I can be found on both Twitter and Instagram at Corey Motley. That would be C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. All right, and that is it for us. Thank you so much for joining us for another So Video Games. And remember, there's nothing after the closing music. This is just a one, one time through show. There's no banter at the end, so... Uh, We'll be back with banter later on. But in the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. Bye.